Hello and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with your host Matthew Robinson and his gaming group. This is round two, turn four. Hard to remember when we have a bonus episode before. Thought this was five. It's four. Joining me today, the quote unquote designer himself, Trey Alsop. Welcome, Trey. Great to be here. Round two. You didn't like the quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I felt like you had a little pushback on the name of the designer in previous episodes. So I was, uh, it was a slight a nod towards that. Yes, yeah, so great. So now I've got the quotes around game designer. <laughs> well, no, I was just so worried, like, designer. are we trying to come across as authorities? And now there's no, no question at all that we're not authorities. So thank you. Uh, a lot going on this week. Let's jump into it. We got a big episode here. We're going to be reviewing the game Pipeline. Pipeline, a very exciting, big, Big crunchy Euro, the the exciting Euro of the summer for many uh, from Capstone Games. Their first original game ever, I believe, designed by uh, a brand new designer. We're going to be getting to that very shortly. For that, though, let's do let's just quickly talk about last week's episode. A wonderful episode with uh, Jesse and Lumen talking about Catan strategy, a game that. Uh, Jesse seemed to believe a lot of people didn't think had strategy. I don't think anybody really believed that, but I think that they they made he was a little defensive, right? A little like defensive he was kind of yeah, a little bit inventing was, a critique that yeah, didn't actually like, exist there. A, a lot bit. of people think Catan is a stupid game where you roll dice and you close your brain off for thirty minutes. And well, maybe calling it Tiddlywinks didn't help. Well, no, but that see, but that's that's how I had to get that. That's grist for the mill. That's how I got Jesse to open up and show his true side and. There it's, you go. it's sensitive. It's, it's, I would say it's a sensitive side, but it maybe is, yeah. is overly sensitive side. But I thought it was. I thought it was very interesting. Look, Lumen was a great guest. Our first time we've ever had somebody who's not one of our main game groupers in there. I think we'll be doing that in the future again. Having wonderful new voices on our podcast. Lumen uh, was in the Catan Nationals. What what's the word for this? It was at Origins this weekend. It was That's the right. Like nationals. The Nationals. It's like the, the main. And he was giving us live updates. The main tournament. He gave us lots of updates. Let we me were, tell we you. were living and dying by his results. He was on our Facebook group. By the way, if you're not have joined our Facebook group by now, you're making a giant life mistake. And it, you just go to Facebook. You sign up for Game Brain Pod. Become part of the Brain Trust. Well, yeah, TM, I guess. Uh, but it is not the page of our uh, board game podcast. It is the group. You must join the group. We have a lot of wonderful people there, Lumen being one of them. Uh, you could talk to Lumen. But Lumen told us about how we did at Nationals at Origins this week. Origins is a big board game convention. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but Lumen came in 19th. Yeah, I just barely missed the cut. Just barely missed the cut for finals. He said on Facebook, finish 19th out of 84 players. Unfortunately, three spots short of the semifinals, but on the bright side, it's my third straight top 20 finish. Nothing to be ashamed of there. Uh, he sounds like, I mean, it sounded like he was crushing all weekend long, and I guess that there's just a lot of, a lot of crazy things that can happen with uh, the points. Well, he had, it seemed like there. he had a lot of near misses, right? Because he was saying nine points this round, eight points this round, which means he didn't win those rounds, but was scoring high as second place type of thing, and, and I think he won his third. Yeah. Um, if, if I was reading that right but i mean it, but, but I, hey, listen we're not criticizing Catan when we say that luck is a factor so yeah. like lumen could be the, the best Catan player in the country yeah. and still finish 19th that's within the realm of possibility of Catan. 100 there's dice involved there's variability there i mean to me after hearing that episode the true variability of that game is the order the cards come out the randomness of that deck of cards if you're if you pull of development card yeah. if every time you pull a development card you get a point you're getting luckier than everybody else. 
most likely. Yeah, that's a good hit. And he had some great thoughts about um, how people value those cards and how maybe that's askew, uh, or some people misvalue uh, what some of them um, are. But uh, he was he was a great guest. He was very articulate. I loved. Um, I was glad it was both uh, Lumen and Jesse. I thought they had really different um, perspectives. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think their their criticisms of each other's play was maybe like the most interesting. Totally. No, their their little uh, the, the little argument they got into that they were able to tell us all about at their their practice session before the podcast, right? Um, and I, but I thought it, what it revealed was just in in a sense like Catan is a very social game. Yes, and, and there is going to be a lot of soft skills involved. It and has, this, and this yeah. may be like because Jesse's obviously an incredibly intelligent person. And I felt like that conversation may have revealed that what, you know, if what he's lacking in Catan may actually be that like final step of soft skills. Yeah. I mean, I felt like Lumen was telling him that in a number of, of different ways that he was almost like too closed down in uh, how he was relating to the rest of the table. I think two things. I think it's, it, Catan is a lot more in common with Avalon than I had ever thought before until mm-hmm. hearing the episode. But I also think the same issue Lumen was having was the same issue that uh, people who have been on Jesse's team when he's the good guy in Avalon have had before, <laughs> right. which is that he's, his, his, uh, his focus on obfuscation mm-hmm. trumps actual strategy, <laughs> it seems a bit, potentially. Uh, sometimes like when he's been Merlin and he's worked so hard to not be caught as Merlin to the detriment of his team who's sure. dying to know who Merlin is and get some help. Sounds like, like we Lumen. lost, but no one figured out I was yeah, Merlin. Sounds like Lumen was having a little bit of the same issue at the table. But uh, hey, man, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Well, there is, the there is something. I mean, I think when you, you talk about games like Diplomacy or Gatan in this case, um, you can generalize it to take some, some uh, bigger lessons about how to play board games. And, and you know, I haven't played tons of Catan, but um, I did. I did feel like my philosophy whenever I play this game is that it's a game of mini alliances, right? Mini and mini, right? It's very transactional, mm-hmm. um, and j- although they were kind of downplaying like when you should trade a lot, generally, I feel like you you should. Mm. Like, I, you, I yeah, feel like that's what they were saying. I feel like yeah, I yeah. That. But like, if you if there's four people at the table and the only trades that are made is I make a trade with every other player. Yeah. I'm probably going to be the one who wins because everybody sure. else has just made one thing that helped them and I've done three. Right. So. Well, if they're playing correctly, though, at some point they'll recognize that you're doing better and stop trading with you as much. But. Yeah. And, and that's a, and then, of course, like when that happens is is a thing. But it's also the case that uh, I feel like when you trade with everybody, then that's almost like you're just being fair. I trade with everyone. Like, yeah. and, like the cable image really enters into it. And. You know, I think Jesse's table image as a Catan player might have come into the conversation of the podcast a little bit because I, yeah. I was listening to that thing and I, I kind of wanted to play the robber on it myself. <laughs> just listening to him, I was like, I can't wait to play this game and just roll a seven. Well, Jesse, go ahead and bring Catan by sometime. Uh, I do not own it, which is funny for a large board game collection that I have. Um, what's next on our list here, Trey? What is ADA I see on our outline here? Okay, so um, from our just want a, a tiny little update here, please. From our uh, last conversation with Dimitri, mm-hmm. when I was uh, a guest on Dimitri's episode, and he asked the question, "Why aren't there no, no board games about lawyers?" Uh huh. And we started describing, well, what would a board game about lawyers look like? Right. And I started describing something that might work, and he said, "Okay, you're designing a game." Um. 
I've, I've actually like taken that challenge. I've, Seriously? I've started to work on a game called Assistant District Attorney. Stop. Or, really? or ADA. It's, it's actually going very well. It's a worker placement game. Do you have to give Dimitri some sort of intellectual rights? No, no, intellectual rights don't matter at all. Absolutely in, uh, not. No. Board games amazing. But I've even I've even got some uh, some pieces here that I've brought in. Stop it! Wait a minute. So our board our podcast has inspired has a sp- potential a potential game board game that could be reviewed on this podcast. Potentially, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or take advantage of the podcast to kickstart sure. my own. Uh, Game brain approved. You have some uh, fancy fun. wooden pieces here. What are these? Okay, so these are the initial resources for the game, uh, in in which you know you are an assistant district attorney. The game att- assistant district attorney. Yes, everyone is an assistant district attorney, and and they, it's like a career game. Like where you go, because like so many people become assistant district attorneys okay. out of law school with the idea of moving on to something else. Okay. Some people stay in the district attorney's office. Like my father was an assistant district attorney in Dallas in the sixties. But, you know, it's a leaping point for a lot of different career options. And so, I, okay. so anyway, yeah, it's a very exciting board game uh, theme of I'm an assistant district attorney. And so, like, what is my actual, what am I doing in my job? I'm mm-hmm. pleading cases. I'm taking cases. I'm schmoozing. I'm working towards kind of like a certain goal of what kind of lawyer I want to be. I need a kind of excellent conviction rate. Yeah. Um, so I'm coming up with a whole worker placement system of like, what do you do with so every a, day of the this week? This is a worker placement game. Yeah. And the workers are, you're the worker, but you're, you're essentially like scheduling your week. Okay. Like I'm going to be in trial on Tuesday. Right. So on Monday, I need to have in, you know, in, done the law work for this case. And maybe on the Friday previous, I had to investigate right. the thing. And like, I'm deciding like, which cases am I pleading? Which ca- and which cases am I taking to trial? So your workers are denoting your time management skills for that. That's week. right. It's a little bit like a spin on uh, viticulture. Yeah, yeah. You're deciding where you're, where you're going to put your energies that for that harvest. That's right. Yeah. And so it should be like a a simulation of the life of an ADA. Right. Are you working through the weekend? Right. Or you know, are you spending your Sunday recuperating and getting more energy? Right. Or did you, you, you know, just, or did you, you use just put it, a happy face wooden piece up? Or did you, you know, spend it in the law library? Oh, you know, here's, in, a, here's a little book token. I have a book lovely. token. I've got a little investigating yes. lens, and I've got like a little star, which is like your your star power, your schmoozy, your ability to uh, convince people. Okay. Right. So your early charm. early stages. So just sometimes that's the way. Uh, I, I I tend to be theme driven. Right. As a starting point, and yeah. so using. You know the life, the exciting life of an assistant district attorney as the uh, the basis of a board game. Wow, who knows? Publishers, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm excited. Well, li- listen. Obviously, can I give you just one note? Sure. I think I think I think we can find a more exciting title than ADA, an assistant district attorney. I think I think containers the, I think taken. For, I think for right now we can call this working title assistant district attorney game. Mm-hmm. I think maybe. There's there's a there's a, a little sexier of a title that okay, I think this is someone can stumble upon. Maybe somebody listening. Can we, maybe we crowdsource. This. Let's crowdsource this. If you've got ideas for the assistant district attorney board game title that you know is really going to make these suckers fly off the shelf. Law and order. That's probably That's taken. Yeah. Probably taken. Yeah. Probably taken. Uh, cop rock. Already also taken. Um, You're not a cop. You're an assistant district attorney. I, know. I was just thinking of TV shows that are. I've wanted to tap in. Listen, lawyers later on, after they're not assistant district attorneys, have plenty of disposable income. Right. So I think I'm going to tap into this. Market. I think Dimitri was smart to ask that question, and I think you're smart to recognize a huge, huge hole in the market. 
<laughs> in the, in the some no right board this. games about lawyers question. I, I actually, I love an, an original theme. I assume most people listening to this who love board games love an original theme. And if the game was good, would jump all over a theme like that. All right, that's all I got right now. There you go. Um, I uploaded our first video ever. Uh, I got Pax Pamir, the game from Cole Worley. Uh, and Whirly Gig, his new uh, production uh, board game company with him and his brother, I believe, started it. Um, I got a copy of it, and I decided uh, nobody had put an unboxing up. And I often ask people when they get games in early on, on Facebook, I like to see what they look like. As somebody who loves board games, to sure. you, that's a huge part of it, the visual. So I often ask people, hey, if, if you're the first person to get a game, throw an unboxing up for everybody else who's waiting for their Kickstarter stuff. It, I felt nobody had put one up yet. I got it. I thought, you know what? I'm going to be the man for this job and I'm going to put up a video of this. Um, mistakes were made though. It's harder than I thought. I, I ended up feeling like I was talking out of my butt a lot during it. Um, uh, at the beginning of the game, I was so excited. At the beginning of the game, at the beginning of the video, I was so excited. I called the game. <laughs> at the beginning of the YouTube game. Yeah, <laughs> it was. And I failed. Uh, I lost that game. I called the game PAX Renaissance <laughs> at the beginning. Didn't notice. Um, it sounds like I, 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 I say at one point from the designer of Root and in the system of PAX games, but it sounds like I'm saying from the designer of Root and the system of PAX games. So somebody already had a comment going, um, I'm sorry, actually, uh, actually, he, Matt. yeah, Cole Worley did not design all PAX games. I'm like, I know actually. that I, I own most of them. I love them. Like, I just, I didn't say that, but I also then later on, like, said the game takes place in the 19th century. You're being really hard on yourself I, for an unboxing video. I know, but yeah. see, that's how, but I, but I feel like people notice these things and I want you to know that I take these things seriously. And if I'm going to add content, I do not want to be putting out incorrect information uh, because um, I don't appreciate that. So anyway, yeah, just I letting think you know, the next I think step I for you, if I know you, is that you're going to um, get a camera rig. Oh, so that you can look I straight down on the yeah, box when do you it. do the unboxing. I can't get too serious about the video side. That's why we're doing a podcast. There are amazing people handling all of the video content you could ever need for board games. I do not need to enter into that world. But I don't mind the idea of occasionally throwing up a video. What I'd be more interested in is throwing up videos of us playing games at some point. That's um, That would be exciting. Well, it could be. I think people would like to see it, potentially, if the game is really fun to play and we are animated while we're playing it. But um, Well, I love Twitch. I would love it if we would yeah. do some stuff on and Twitch, we, especially because that's a way out. to interact with the community. But if you ever want to see if we do something like that, you can find us on YouTube, Game Brain Podcast. We'll if you, you want to see all of the sad mistakes I made uh, and embarrass myself online and should probably stick to podcasting, uh, find that on YouTube. Let's talk about this week's game night. Pipeline, 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 pipeline. We played a lot of pipeline. We're going to be reviewing it today. It only came in last week. We played it a lot this week. Are we ready to review it? Nobody knows. We're, We're doing gonna it. give it a shot anyway. But yeah, we right. played it a butt ton. Um, well, let's talk about. Uh, at first, I was like reluctant to do pipeline. I was, like, I was do, we, do we really want to review something based on just a couple? Yeah. Of plays, I agree. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be always just trying to jump on the hotness. I mean, it, I think, but, it, but I think that's actually what people want. Kind of though, to a certain extent, but they don't want an uninformed. They don't want a yeah. good review of a game we hate in two weeks or a bad review of a game that we end up loving in a month. Yeah. So what's the balance? Right? Oh yeah, I, I think we we had actually decided to review a different game, but mm -hmm. then by the end of the week, we I felt like we had played it so much that I was like, I could talk about this for. It's hours. a game on the brain. Yeah, I, I mean, we so, can, we can talk about it a lot, and you know, it, yep. it is a game that we've played for a week. Uh, so it's you know, we may revisit reviews like that in the future, but I feel like we have. When our group dives into a game, and by the way, we had two tables of it playing it for two nights this week. I've played multiple times. Like we, it was it, our whole week was dedicated to like. It learning. was a pipeline week. It was, yeah, a, it was a week of pipe. This was a week of pipeline we, we and a, a week of, of the strategy discussion, and our whole group getting very involved. So there's been a lot of thought into it. So 
Uh, I think I think we are allowed to. So we're going to do this it. Point. Yeah, we'll be reviewing that in a little bit. Let's get into the game news. There's a little bit of a jingle. It goes like this. That's not it. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Nobles, South American. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press flight. Um, not a lot of news this week. We are recording on a Sunday night. Usually record on a Fridays. Tomorrow uh, will be the day when all of the Origins news hits. Origins has happened over the weekend. There's been a ton of new games, but everybody who has game news and every journalist, quote unquote, in the world of board games is there right now. And um, we're not going to hear anything until tomorrow. So we'll have a lot of news, I imagine, next week. Um, from following all of the people who were there, uh, I'm very excited about PAX Transhumanity, which is the new PAX game. A lot of PAX talk today, probably. Um, but people were saying amazing buzzy things about it sounds very exciting um also still excited about uh oh boy what was it the game that i the dexterity game i talked about last week mega city oceana Mm -hmm. a lot of people were playing that this weekend we'll hear more about what game sort of blew out of uh origins origins is is uh, there are two types of board game conventions in the world. They're the ones where people go to play games and there's ones where publishers go to get people hyped on their new games. Origins, much like Gen Con, uh, uh, is the latter. So uh, we'll be hearing a lot about new games that came out at, board, uh, at Origins over the weekend. Um, another bit of sad news, second week in a row, we've had sort of rough news about a designer um, or rather a... Uh, a publisher. A publisher, James Matthey. I don't know if I'm pronouncing That's that right, correctly. That's right, it's Matthey. Yeah. Yeah, so James uh, James Matthew passed away this week, and we just wanted to kind of uh, acknowledge that. Uh, I I got to meet James once at the at BGG Con, and he kind of uh, he occupied a nice place within the board game design community as yeah. a, mentor like a mentor to yeah. people who were designing games and uh, considering putting them on Kickstarter. And he was uh, so he was both a, a publisher. He was the owner of Minion Games. Uh, he also started um, RPG Now, which eventually merged with Drive Through RPG, which is still around. Which the, is the main source of digital RPGs for, I mean, digital books of RPGs. But I think the way he, um, most people knew him, and like the way he contributed most to the board game community was as this kind of uh, mentor figure, and he was especially known as kind of the um, tough love, tough love guy. Mm. He was the guy who was going to sit down, play your prototype, and tell you what you really needed to here as far as uh marketing your game things that needed to to change uh, i've been in a lot of play testing circles i've had board games i've play tested and you can very much get into your own head and you need someone who's actually in the industry to shake you sometimes and say it's time to abandon this yeah it's time you know uh, that this is not going to work as far as the business of, of board games um and uh, he he felt he filled that role, um, and I think he had a lot of impact on a lot of different games. And you could see um, all over Kickstarter this week a lot of people um, expressing sadness. That clearly, somebody who who meant a lot to a lot of people. So yeah, Minion Games put a lot, a lot, a lot of great games: uh, Hegemonic, Manhattan Project, Empire, Energy, which we love, um, Tahiti. Wow, yeah, it is a sad day. And, and but it sounds like he was uh, only fifty-two. Yeah, that's rough. Um, but yeah, rest in peace, James. Uh, moving along other news. Um, I saw a strange thing on, uh, board game geek that I did not expect. Now, uh, there is a game that came out a couple months ago called blackout Hong Kong. Uh, interesting because it was designed by, uh, Alexander Fister, designer of great Western trail. Very excited for it. A heavy Euro. Um, and it's one of the rare cases I feel where art and graphic design actually detracted from the game and I, I, I to me I, I actually enjoy the mechanic 
aspects of it. We'll talk about that word in a second. I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the game. You said it. And I, in fact, would like to play it more. But it got, it got a very hard pass from our group. And I think one of the main reasons is the graphic design is wildly uninspired. And out of the blue, in the last couple of weeks, the second printing has started uh, trickling out into the market, and it has a brand new designed board and cards and player board. Um, I will not say that it has reinvented the wheel. Trey, I can try to just show you this if you want to check it out. Mm-hmm. I won't say that it's wildly different, but it definitely is. It's less dark. It's less sure. dark. It's not just black on black. Everything. It looks a little more thematic. It looks a little sexier. Um, I think it's an interesting game. I, I think it deserves more of a chance than we gave it. Um, but I do, I do think the grab, the grab, you just look, you just, it still made a number of top 10 lists. I mean, there was a lot of people really loved it, but it, I I think you're right that there was like this hurdle to overcome. Yeah. Especially on the map itself. If it looked as good as Great Western Trail, I think it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's a hit. It had like good character art. I like the vibe. Sort of. Yeah. I I, I mean, it's such an interesting theme. The the power has gone out in Hong Kong and you're a, you're a good person. Who's trying to be to help other people? That's I mean that's a cool thing. It's more than the power's gone out. It's kind of like the world is over, isn't it? Well, no, it's like day three of a major blackout, and there's but no worldwide si- crisis. No, it's only in Hong Kong right oh, now, okay. and, and and there's no sign that it's coming back on anytime soon. And things have started to to turn a bit apocalyptic, uh, which is what naturally would happen in a situation like that. If you're in a mega city in the world, and the power on day three is not back on, and people are going to start taking things from each other. If you know, if your food's rotten and you run out of water and et cetera, et cetera, it's going to start getting a little crazy. And so you are a good person trying to keep things together until the lights come back on, which is just a cool, it's a great theme. It's just fun. It's a, there's, there's a cool, like it, 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 he, he did a nice job of making you feel like a superhero for doing good yeah. deeds. Right. And the, the, the thing is, is that the artist who did, who did this was what? Chris, Chris Quilliam, who's done, Fantastic games. No, no, and there's no, a lot no, no. to like about it's this. Got one anyway. a, it's a budget issue, hundred percent. Like it's it was a time, it was a scheduling. It's or like, something. dude, you, we're giving you no money, and you've got like a month. I'm also talking out of my butt, and don't know if any. Of that, that was. Is I true. think a lot of people got that impression. It's, yeah. yeah, it just it did not feel like there was a lot of love put into it. I think we can say that. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. If so you, they're getting a new. It's, getting, it's out. It's on shelves. That didn't, it was just done with no, with no. So you it's know, not an alt. It's like this is what it looks like now going yeah, forward. In yeah. New, in new print. But they did not announce it. They didn't do. It. It's just all of a sudden people were buying the game and opened it and went. Uh, that don't look like <laughs> what's on PGG. Isn't what's going on here? Um. So anyway. I think that's interesting. Maybe there should be, yeah, we need another unboxing. Yeah, potentially. Let's talk about games on the brain. The games on my brain for the past week have been Cole Worley games. Uh, In preparation for PAX Pamir, I decided that I would finally upgrade. PAX Pamir is a new game that came out from Cole Worley this week, which I just got delivered via Kickstarter. You can see my wonderful unboxing video on YouTube. Uh, But while doing that, I thought, you know, I pulled out Root again and was just sort of wanting to revisit Cole's biggest hit before PAX Pamir and realized that there was a big sort of... um, a patch update that was kind of done to the whole game. They did a Kickstarter for it uh, in the last six months or so, and they did sort of a 2.0 of the rules. And they... Uh, this is Root, we're talking This about. is Root, yes. And Root now has sort of an upgrade pack that you can have for free and down and print out and sticker on top of your old game to sort of make it the version that's come, you know, that people will be getting in a year. Um, and it was very easy to do. I uploaded the image to FedEx 
and spent $3 to have them printed on a uh, sheet of sticker paper. And I have a FedEx two blocks from my house and I walked there and I gave them $3 and I took it home and I cut it out and I slapped the stickers on my board and it looks perfect. And now I have version 2.0 of Root and I'm very excited to get at the table again. And I think it is a game that deserves, I wish it was on our eight by eight. I wish it was because I think it deserves that amount of time. Um, and I think it's a very interesting and great design. But hopefully we'll get to the table soon. I think before that, though, we're going to be getting Pax Pay Well, I'm, I'm curious to play um, the fixes because I think yeah. I, I fell on the side of um, thinking that this game was overhyped and mm. didn't, did not quite deserve the amount of attention that mm-hmm. it got. Because uh, maybe it's like in some ways, I, I felt like it was the opposite of Blackout Hong mm-hmm. Kong, which was this was a game that the look of it it was arresting. Like you walk past Root and you stop. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And you know, oh, I I clearly want to play this. Asymmetrical powers, looks looks very cool. And Mm -hmm. then I was disappointed in the way the game actually played, but I know some people really love it, but it it fell into the category of of like maybe what I consider to be one of my top 10 overrated games. Mm. So I'm excited to try it again. Yeah. You can't play test it enough before releasing it. Yeah. Like actually having it out in the field, especially because it's so popular. Well, that's it's what gonna they said. Get, it's going to get the plays and you can finally address the, the things. The designer said, I don't think the old version is broken or bad in any way at all. But after thousands of people played it 10,000s of times, we have more data now and I'm, I'm open to, you know, making it as tournament ready as possible. And hmm, so these okay. are, these are, this is sort of the tournament fixes for it, but, but also just the, the, the fixes in general. Um, but you know, he, he's, yeah, I mean, that game has a huge social component. Like we're talking yeah. about like uh, Catan being a, yeah. a social, like you really, it's gotta, a meta. There's a meta in that you game have for to sure. Talk, talk, talk. Like we got to stop those birds. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those yeah, birds. Totally. And I think it's a game that can create wonderful memories, which I believe is the theme we're going to be talking about in Paul's episode coming up soon. Gotcha. Um, anything else on your brain this week, Trey? I, I think just looking... Um, anything other than Pipeline? <laughs> yeah, I, I, just, we were looking at Origins and like we were, I think we had a little conversation about what are we actually looking forward, games we're looking forward to for the rest yeah. of the year. And I was just thinking like the two things that are on my mind of like what I'm waiting for. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for On Mars. Yeah. And then you're saying that may not be this year. I mean, I, I, I would be surprised if we get it this year. And then yeah, Black we'll Angel. See. Yeah. Is, are those the two on my... Black Angel is 100% coming out at Gen Con, but apparently not coming... To to retail until maybe August, September, October. So we gotta. Uh, we need to get somebody. By the way, I'm. I'm going. You're. Oh, you are going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so you'll get us a copy. If yeah, I should be able to. Yeah. You're Unless it's gonna go on like I'm, I guess I gotta get in there. I hate going down there Thursday I know, morning. I'm gonna have to make you do that. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'll yeah. pay for the game, but yeah, you're gonna have to. I'll buy your coffee. <laughs> you've seen those crazy videos. I've done it. Of, yeah, I know. I've, I've stood in that it. line. I, I've I been the first. It. I've spent six hours waiting in line to buy three board games. We are different people. Yeah, I love that. That's, that was why I went. Uh, so, sorry. Uh, On Mars says uh, estimated delivery October. So, there, there's a chance it'll come by the end of the year. Um, whenever I see the estimated date on a Kickstarter, I, I just always add three months minimum. Um, but, yeah, January, December, somewhere in there is probably, probably safe. Um, shall we move on to our review of the week? Oh, by the way, I didn't talk about all about what our top 10 is going to be this week. Jeez. We, uh, every episode of this round, we are doing a top 10. That is our theme of the round. And this week we're going to do top 10 games by mechanic. I think we need to talk about mechanic and mechanism right now. <laughs> we, we had a debate over this again. We've talked about it a lot. What is the correct word? There is no correct answer to it. Well, there is grammatically. The correct answer is mechanism, but we held a poll on our Facebook group and, uh, 
It was a landslide victory for Mechanic. It wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. It was like 99%. Yeah. And one. Like, everybody was like, shut up with your mechanism. Like, yeah. nobody cares. <laughs> Everyone's dude. sick of mechanism. Yeah, stop saying mechanism. Okay, so you, you all win. You win. Look. It just doesn't matter. The morons had their say. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we're okay. Listen, you, know? you pointy headed liberal elite <laughs> with your mechanisms. Yeah, exactly. You take like, it back to the ivory yeah, tower. Yeah, exactly. Your car hole. Everybody uh, knows exactly what you're talking about when you talk about game mechanics. Okay, so, so we are, the, you know what? Just let it go. You win. Thank you. I will no longer say mechanisms on this podcast. You hear it here first. If I say it again. It's fine. No. They are no, Trey. We don't have to get down to one word. This is the beauty down. of the English language. I've been voted down. Uh, you were slapped pretty hard. Yeah, by so we're going to do top 10 games by mechanic. What does that mean? We're going to take the biggest mechanics in board games, the 10 biggest and most important mechanics mm. in board games, and we are going to tell you what our favorite <laughs> we're game is. We're going to talk about 10 random mechanics yeah. and, then and then give talk you our, about games related our favorite, to them. 10 favorite games of those mechanics. Not 10 each. We're going to do our favorite game, like our favorite worker placement. Our favorite yeah, I was certainly doing like the, the game that most embodies this mechanic. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's and, what well, and my favorite that I think also most embodies right. it. The best, if I was to show one person one game of this mechanic, this is what I would show yeah. them. And it wouldn't, it's not going to be the, the most popular. It'll be the best that I think shows it, mm-hmm. which you know I also think is probably a good game. Um, the, so, ep- the epitome. The epitome, yes, exactly. <laughs> the epitome. Uh, let's talk about Pipeline. Pipeline is a 2019 board game, plays two to four players, designed by Ryan Courtney, brand new designer. This is Ryan's first game. Came from Capstone Games. We love Capstone Games. Capstone Games makes uh, a lot of fantastic games like The Estates ah, and okay. um, Arkwright and uh, coming soon uh, 18xx Irish Gage. And they, they, they're the first people to reprint Splatter Games bus. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot of exciting things going on there. Um, well, already they're kind of they're showing a lot of who they are by, with, with those kind of games. Oh, and Ligny. Also, Ligny is Capstone Games as well. Ligny uh, or Lignum? Lignum. Sorry, Ligny. What is Ligny? Capstone uh, did uh, Lignum. Lignum but, is my favorite chopping wood game. Yes. So <laughs> they, uh, they are known for... So that's kind of a pickup and deliver. For reprinting small run board games mm. and, and deluxifying them, not TM, uh, and making them uh, more accessible and uh, maybe with some nicer components as well. They also did Wildcatters, which is a fun game as well, um, and Three Kingdoms. So that is Capstone Games. This is, I, if, if I'm wrong, strike me down, but I believe I am correct in saying that this is their first original in-house developed board game. Um, I also believe, strike me down if I'm wrong as well, that Ryan Courtney is one of the founders of Capstone or, or maybe even the founder of capstone could be wrong about that i'm probably wrong about that um this will show you how much research i do i try to do a lot uh let's but just anyway. talk about the game let's talk about the game tray let me read you a little bit about the theme what is pipeline about pipeline is the refinement of oil has long been part of the government controlled energy sector amassed with an incredibly complex and inefficient system of refineries the government has felt the severe pressures of worldwide demand and the ever-increasing global standard for refinement unable to keep up with demand that the government has only one option privatizing the oil industry This is where you come in. Seeking to capitalize on the new opportunity in Pipeline, you start a company in the oil business. You will focus on building a much more efficient pipeline network in your refinery, hiring experts that provide valuable benefits over your competitors, managing the logistics of purchasing and selling your refined oil in the various markets. You will need more than the strong economic skills. Carefully crafting an interweaving network of pipelines just might ensure your victory. 
you are a jerk uh, who's uh, ruining the world and mining for black gold, as they call it. And, um, you know, really sort of a... Yeah, you are, right, we are competing oil refiners. Yeah. And so this is... The this, theme is not like my favorite vibe in our um, post-apocalyptic nightmare climate change world. I'm not like super down to like be LARPing <laughs> oil refiners. Right. Um, it's a nice but, companion piece with CO2. Yeah. Well, exactly. Uh, I'd much rather be trying to save the world. Uh, yeah. And, but yeah. You're, I mean, you're profiting on its ending. Yes. Yeah. Nice. We are. We are definitely like. You're right. But, but again, charging this does tickets fall, to watch the Titanic. Fall into, like, listen, there's plenty of board games where you get to be a captain of industry. Yes, of course. And yes. you like, you're like kind of like Monopoly or something like yeah, that. You, brass, you play yeah. a big wig. Mm-hmm. And, or 18XX. And we yeah. are competing mega mogul oil. Yeah, I guess, I mean, look at me trying to be haughty about this after 18xx games, which are basically just rich people. I mean, how many people died building the train right. system in America? You're a rail baron. Yeah, exactly. You get to it's be like, the, the top dude. Horrible. Uh, so, yeah. So, let's talk about what Pipeline is. This is, this is okay, you want to do the basics? Yeah, let's just, okay. for people who've never heard it before, let's talk about what this is. This is a worker placement game yeah. with no blocking in it. So it's a little bit of a, yeah. a zhuzhi, but you technically are placing your worker and doing things. Although you're placing a worker on an action space to indicate what your action right. is there are, for the room. There are 10 actions you can take in this game. You can take, uh, you can take, no, there are, there are t- exactly 10 actions, eight okay, there and two outside of it. Right. There are multiple government. Right. Spaces. And the, the interesting uh, mechanic of this game is you are going to be buying tiles and building a, series of interweaving pipes and through those pipes you will be passing invisible oil and the farther they go the, the more refined they become and the more you can sell them for so there's a little bit of an 18xx vibe in here where there are sort of three companies in this you're game. building a network yes because there are three different colors yes of pipe because there are three different kinds of oil exactly so there are three colors of oil three and three kinds of pipe Orange oil can only go through orange pipes. There's no actual theme. It's not like orange is, you know, I don't know, Saudi Texas Arabian oil and crude, blue is Texan. They sweet. give you, there is no theme you can LARP like that. Could it's, have actually used that. I yeah, think. that wouldn't have been bad if there's just names for them. But basically you can think of them as like train companies in 18XX. You are, you know, you're, you're investing in these things in order to use them on your, your lines. Right, but unlike them. 18XX, there's no common network that's being built you're building a completely right. independent a that nobody else can touch ever exactly yeah and you're all fighting over the same track if you will this is one of those games it's it, it is an economic game mm-hmm. and heavy. it is it's heavy this is a 3.90 right now in bgg doesn't mean much but i i don't think that's too far off it's a heavy game yep it, this is one of those games where your score at the end is simply how much money you have Yes. I mean, there's some things that give you money at the end, which yeah. you can call them victory points, but money equals points. Another 18xx similarity. This is just richest person wins at the end. Uh, also, before going forward, we must say, art by Ian O'Toole, the, the Stanley Kubrick of the board game world. His name uh, sells board games as much as designers, I think, lately. Uh, he's done all of Vital Lacerda's games, as well as a million other fantastic games. But this is a Gorgeous graphic design. This is not a art-heavy game. There is very little art. The only art in the actual game, in terms of sort of uh, evocative thematic art, is at the very top of the board. There's some sort of a beautiful night skyline of oil rigs in the water. Um, but other than that, it, it's just his graphic design is so clean and so you you. It, it's just it, 
you feel like you're in an Apple store or something. It's just, it's modern and sleek and gorgeous. Uh, and this game is uh, in the top of his work, I think, so far. It's just... Yeah, it's clean. Yeah. It's, pretty, it's very understandable. You want to play it. It just, it looks wonderful. So in this game, here's, here's basically what you're doing. You are going to be buying one of three different kinds of crude. Yeah. Yeah, it starts out as crude. This crappy... Worth, Un- unrefined almost worthless oil. oil yep and then you run this these three different types of crude through your network mm-hmm. and you can upgrade it up to three different levels of quality right and there's also no thematic name to those levels which would have been nice maybe there's just you know level one level i think two, the, and the rule, level three yeah it's like good better best or something pretty much yeah like that but it's just three and it's like, not like uh, and the better quality it is then the more it is worth and you can then sell this oil to, in a number of different yeah, ways. There's many there, ways to sell kind of off like your there's oil. There's a market, um, different markets you can go to, which are kind of uh, you know simulating international markets. Right. And different markets want. They're different called refined things. markets one, yep. two, and three, and they but each you can have also different... fulfill contracts. You there are the international orders that are waiting mm-hmm. for it, and so this is one of those you got to spend money to make money. Once you get money, you have more money to spend to kind of prime your engine to yep. you buy more crude to refine more oil, you know. Um, and it is very much one of these you have to understand the cycle, and then it's kind of an efficiency yeah. competition as far as who can uh, get their their engine going and operating at full tilt um, yeah. quickest. And, and this then- is one of those games where you have a fixed amount of turns in mm-hmm. the game. And so in any type of a Euro game, when you have a fixed amount of turns, it's always the, the, the key to the game is going to be action efficiency. It's going to be how do you get more out of each action then? How do you get multiple actions? And there's a couple of cool ways the game does it. So the game takes place over three years. The first year has eight turns. Second year has six. Final has four. So each turn gets faster and faster, but each each year actually takes about the same amount of time because your engine gets bigger and of course your you turns more get stuff longer. To you got more stuff to do. Later in the game. Right. Yeah. So and anytime you there are four, so picture sort of a cross in the center of the board game. At each uh, side of the cross, there are two actions. So there are eight <gasps> actions in the cross. And anytime you visit one arm of the cross, you can take one of those two actions. And then for ten dollars, you can take the adjacent action on the same cross. So at the beginning of the game, money is so tight. I mean, money. this is one of the money tightest games I've ever played where, I mean, it comes down to the, I mean, you are $1 short for everything you want always in the first, at least in the first year of this game. So every dollar is wildly important. So that extra $10 for an extra action, it's almost impossible in the first year. I mean, early on, I just feel like that's a, you can't, you have to count every dollar at the beginning. Like that little extra purchase of one more barrel of crude might mean you didn't have enough to operate your machine. That was what you needed in order to produce your, so it's really easy to screw up in this game. But by, by year two, it's very easy to screw up. And we will talk about that in year two or year three. I feel like if you are not at least half the time taking that second action, you are falling way behind. I mean, you right. you need to be... Uh, and, and by the way, the way those actions come out next to each other on the cross is random in every game and totally changes up the way you play the game. At least I found it wildly differs strategies mm-hmm. you can take because if refined market one is next to 
contracts and loans, that's not going to be very strong later in the game. And if you really need to be visiting Refined Market One, you're not going to be taking you know contracts and loans in the third year. So that all of a sudden, Refined Market One loses a lot of value to you. So yeah, and the reason for this is because, and we're just kind of explaining here, Refined Market One does not buy and sell blue. Exactly. Yeah, every market doesn't do one, and you might blue if blue is your main thing, you're never going to Refined Market. You know, or vice versa. So it, it, it definitely uh, the way those come out is wildly important. But you need to figure out how to be getting a lot of actions. And another interesting way they add to that is as an action, you can refine your oil, but you can also buy a machine that for $15, which is a lot, which is a ton, will automatically refine your oil every turn. So you get this interesting decision of, well, I can't for the rest of the game just refine oil and lose a, a whole. I mean, if, in the third year, when you have four actions, you can't spend one of them refining your oil. So you're going to have to have machines by then. But in round one, if you spend your money on machines, you're, you're never going to run them. You're, you're never going to have any money. And then, by the way, they have another rule. If there's a machine touching one of your pipes, you can't run it with a worker. You can only run it by machine. Yeah, so you once, can you've, actually, once you've committed to machines, there's actually machines, no coming back. Yeah, the only way to run it is to spend $15. And you could you could really, I, I actually painted so, myself yeah, in a corner in one of the games. Yeah, what you're talking about is there's a neat thing that happens in the game where initially um, money is the tightest thing and you're in a money economy and managing your money is the most important thing. Right. At a certain point, it's going to shift where actions are going to be the most important thing. Yep. Right. And like determining when you can do that, mm -hmm. when you can pivot from your kind of like money economy to an action economy is like one of the key strategic things that you're figuring out right. over over the course yeah. of the game. Like how, valuing that little extra action is tough. Yeah. Um, but it's but it's what part of what the game is is all about. Totally. And and I think this game has a, as a learning curve. I won't say similar because I, I, I we haven't played enough to really say that. But I, this has a learning curve that felt similar to me to Age of Steam in terms of just. You cannot play this well until you understand the pacing of this game. So you the loop. What's the core loop? Exactly. And but also to understand, you know, what it's like. It's it's always too early to go to machines. You know, in the first three or four actions. But at what point can you move into that? You know, at what point can you expect to be to to be needing to be doing multiple actions in a turn? At what point can you expect that you should be fulfilling contracts? You know, and so and then the contracts thing is also I think a really interesting part of this game that I, I really enjoy. So there are two types. So there there's basically three main ways to sell your goods. Uh, the first one is just to refine markets. Very simple. You go there. They have listed prices. The markets all have different listed prices. They're the that's, same. But that's an action. That's Taking an action, an action to yeah. go to one You're of these going markets. there and you are selling them for, and these for, markets are, for money. We, you'll be familiar with these markets if you have played um, Power Grid. Right. Um, where, you know, like the more that you take out of a market, um, the more expensive yeah. it is. They have kind of a... Right. There's a, each market has a buy and a sell. So when you're buying... It's the same. It's just that... Um, like there's not a different value for buy, buying and selling. It's well, just no, no, that no. I mean when you're, you're the selling more to these big numbers and you're usually yeah. buying from these small numbers. Right. Um, but for example, in the in the crude market, like Power Grid, the more crude that's been bought up, the more expensive it becomes. Right. Yeah. Or right. like brass, also. Right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah. um, buying up all the uh, right. What is the, the mechanic? Oil? It's just like there's a market mechanic yeah. here, right? Yeah. And it's and it's uh, it's a sort of a closed economy. So if everybody's buying orange. And every time you buy an orange, it gets more expensive. So eventually, when you need to buy an orange, now you're spending an insane amount of money. Or it's gone. Or it's just gone. Yeah, exactly. Um, but let's talk about another way that you can sell your goods. So there are two different ways. There are contracts and there are orders. So contracts can be taken as an action. And then they have a very interesting mechanic to them, which is 
you must fulfill those contracts every year for the rest of the game. And if you don't, you lose the contract, which you took a whole action to get, and you take a penalty cube. So there are these red cubes in the game, and uh, every time you take one, it basically doubles how horrible it's going to be. At the end of the game, you're going to lose money. So if right. you take one, hey, you'll lose 20 bucks. 20 bucks, right? You take two, 50. You lose 50. You take three, 100. Take four, 150. They start by, if you've taken 10, I think it's like $1,000 you lose. So that's money you lose at the end of the game. Um, a very good game and a very good score in this game, I believe, is about $100. I mean, sorry, about $1,000. And a, you know, my, the best I've done is I think I did uh, 604 or something, which was, uh, to me, was quite a good score. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so anyway, so contracts and orders are two ways that you can sell things as well. And the contracts do not take an action to sell, which is huge. It takes an action to get the contract, but then you can just take your oil and on your turn at any point, pop it on that contract and take money. Right, so, so part of the decision you're making is like, I, is it worth an action for me to get a better price for my oil by going to these external markets? Or is it, or, or saving the action yeah. and kind of like fulfilling a contract um, especially if I do it multiple times right. over the game, especially and, the, and I can get the money instantly yeah, but and continue doing the things I want to do. Is that the right, th this is the space you're in. Yeah, in making but you're also, you're gambling on yourself because you are, you are betting that you're mm -hmm. going to be able to fulfill this contract every turn. And it can go sideways. It can go totally sideways because all of a sudden that market could, it could become prohibitive to buy that colored oil at that point. So by age two, you've realized everybody's gone into orange now and orange costs or orange is gone. And now you just can't fulfill this or you've got to pay $30 to rebuy it at the refined market or something. So there's an interesting thing with that, but then there's also orders and orders you can never take. It's not an action to take them, but at any point you can just fulfill them, but you must fulfill them completely. Contracts can be fulfilled piecemeal. You can just sell one here, take 30 bucks. Aha, I need that money. Do some other cool stuff with it. Fill another one. So we're all racing for these orders. Essentially. Yeah. Like these are big, they, they pay out best they at the best, the best rate in the, in the game. game yeah. And you can, uh, you, anytime you can fulfill them, you kind of do it instantly. But you have to have, you must be able to fill it completely in yeah. order to take it. And then once it's gone, once it's taken, it's not, it's out of the game. And you only, I think there's only what, uh, nine in the game, at, mm -hmm. you know, at all. Just boom, that's it. Yep. That's your game. Um, so those are all interesting decisions, I feel. Uh, let's talk about the one piece we have not talked about, which is upgrades. So then, that, there's another element to the game that's separate from all of these, and it is basically asymmetric player powers. So uh, everybody yeah, starts... Kind of a tech tree. Yep, yep. Everybody starts out exactly the same, but as for an action, you can go somewhere, and for $20, which is a ton of money in this game, you can buy a level one upgrade, which is going to be some kind of really exciting rule-breaking power. For example, one of them is um, immediately take two government pipe. So pipe is the tiles that you're using to build your pipe market, your pipe uh, lines, network, pipe yeah. network. And then every round, take one at the beginning of the round for free. That's really nice. That's for free at, you know, throughout the whole game, but you're also getting first pick out of things. Um, another interesting rule-breaking one is you don't pay the extra $10 for secondary action for the rest of the game. Remember when I said you take one action, spend 10 bucks, take the one next to it. Well, if you have this power, you never do it. Um, that's pretty cool. That could save you a lot of money, but you just spent $20 for it, which is two actions right there. So yeah. And then you uh, immediately do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very good early in the game. Yeah, it can be. That 10 bucks sure. means less and less later on. So the first time you take a power, you can only take a level one. Um, and then you will flip over a, a little circular disc that will shut down that whole tech tree row for the whole round. 
the whole mm-hmm. year. There's only three years in the whole game. Right. So if you want to buy a two, the earliest you could buy a level two is year two. If you want to buy a level three, the earliest you could buy it is level is year three. So you're only going to ever use a level three upgrade once, and it will only be in the third year. And the level threes are broken. Level threes are nuts. You only have four actions in third year, too, yeah. so it better be good. Yeah, but they are just balls broken and 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 there's a reason for that and i and i think and we'll talk about this i think you are not meant to get them i think they are nukes i think they are oh well we lose the game if we allow this person to get level three so we all now now it becomes a somewhat cooperative semi-cooperative game here where three of the people out of the four must work together to make sure that that person ever gets level three or else it's you know a nuke right because this game has a something i haven't seen before which is uh, matt you were just talking about yep. how when you take something it locks flip it off over. you flip it over that's not so crazy that only one upgrade of a certain type can be taken the the kind of crazier thing is like you can buy one or two of these each round for yeah. 20 bucks there's only five possible only every five game. possible seven ones. in the game you pick five randomly at the beginning of a game so you won't see two of them every the game. weird thing though is that you can in addition to the tech the upgrade purchases you yeah. make you can also block one additional kind yeah you, you can just, just say just and say. nobody gets machines yeah and you flip that so after it a feels, single person it is gone, it's possible jerky. that they've locked out three out of the five techs three out of the five gone for the whole first year, year. so um certainly when the second person go, person goes then that that almost always means that there's nothing left. It, yeah, if they've, they've bought two and shut down one, then the second person buys one and shuts down the other one, or buys two, and then they're just all gone. Um, right, so generally, when you're third or fourth in the player order, it can feel like, oh, I never had a shot. I never had right. this option. I'm not playing this game, and I never had a choice about it. So to me, my feeling, and let's, let's, let's get into this a little bit, because this is sort of the controversial part of the design, I think, or the contentious part of the design. The, design that we, the part of the design we ended up discussing a lot during our plays of why is this here, what is this adding, etc. Yeah, it's unique. It is unique. I think, when, I think that it is not meant to be a main strategy in every game. I think it's clearly, at, at best, two people at best three people, but usually at best two people are going to be getting one in the first year. Um, I think all the level ones are good enough to potentially make a purchase of a level one in year two worthwhile for anybody. I think they're all good enough wherein, okay, you know, you're not, you know, there's three copies of every level one. So pretty much everybody can get one if they want, even in level three, although I'm not sure those actions will be worth it by then. But I think all the level ones are good enough where everybody could get an upgrade by level two. Of the level one of they two, want. Yeah, yeah of, of year two. Sorry, they could, everybody can get a level one that they want. And I think somebody who doubles down on it and gets a level two sets off an alarm for all other players because the level threes are so wild. I mean, it, you pull out one of my little cheat sheets that are in the box there. I'll, I just want to read off one of, the, one of the level threes are. I have a printout probably underneath the rules there. Uh, no. Nope. Oh, oh, here's well, the actual yeah. rule book. Yeah. That'll work. Give, me, give me like just a... Read me off any old... Yeah, so let me just tell you what one of these level threes looks like. Um, here's a level three for human resources. You may take any two actions on your turn. You cannot take any secondary actions attached to any of your main actions. So basically, you just pick what two places you want your worker to go to that turn. You are no longer blocked so the, by where the board So this is following kind of something that you'll be familiar with. play a lot of board games, you'll be familiar with kind of like the idea here is that, you know, I'm going to get a tech, which is going to allow me to break a rule yeah. or do something more efficient, efficiently, and then that right. will become somewhat the basis of my game is is how, how do I leverage this asymmetrical advantage that I have. And in this game, these things seem to be 
really severe. Yeah. And so the pricing um, of how good they are into the game is is kind of priced in by uh, people really need to be thinking about like I need to make sure that Matt doesn't get this. I need to manipulate the turn order mm-hmm. so that Matt isn't going first in in year three. Yeah. Um, this becomes part of the strategic um, decisions that you're you're making. Right. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think there is there is some real um, growing pains with this game. For the f- I, th- I think I don't think I played what I would call a real game of pipeline until my third game of pipeline. Mm-hmm. I think my third game felt like oh I'm playing the game now. This yep. is what it should feel like to have played it. In my first game, I was just uh, oh I, I'm just going to start buying tiles because I'm going to take too long to buy tiles and I, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know and yeah. just, my engine isn't working. And uh, my second game, oh I'm going to try something. It uh, didn't work. Okay, can't do that. That, <laughs> that strategy does not work. That strategy, by the way, was uh, focus on one pipe color only and push it as far as I can and race to the longest pipe of that type. And um, that doesn't work because uh, you will run out of that color of oil very quickly or they will always cost $10 because you're buying only that and somebody else and somebody else is going to buy it. It was just not a good idea. You have to diversify. So it's a heavy game. Yeah. So it has a steep learning curve. Right. In fact, I, I think I would recommend anyone playing this game for the first time. Um, you, I think you kind of need to play like half or more of the first year. Yeah. And, and then, then just, just start, start over. over. Totally. I would, play, I would play half of year one. Like committing Every, to a full game it, of this. Let's the, go again. Yeah, playing yeah. to a full game of this. Um, like it's just too unforgiving yeah. to um, expect that you're going to get it right out of the gate. And I also, so you you got to get that kind of core loop down in your brain so that you can then start making meaningful decisions rather than almost like random ones yeah. when you first when you first. And the rulebook has a beginner's uh, recommendations for this game. Now, we're board game snobs. I always say, not for me. I don't need to play the beginner version. I always jump right into the version. The designer himself has said, and after playing, I agree, play the beginner version. Mm-hmm. Play the, You're not ready for the other score. Play types. the recommended yeah. beginner version. Um, there are a couple hurdles that they remove. You're playing the exact same game. You're just not playing. You're playing with uh, this game. A little bit needs of, all the simplification the it can get for yeah. your first first yeah. play. The, there, yeah. there are some the the the, the levels of, of how of how how long it takes to refine oil by level. So to get it from crude to level one. All those numbers are random how many pipes it is. So if it, let's say it takes four uh, lengths of orange pipe to take crude to level one orange. Those numbers are random. It could be seven. Mm-hmm. So in the recommended beginner game, they tell you to take out all the sevens because if, if there's a seven at the beginning there, it's going to be a very strangely timed game where people are going to be very, that, that first hurdle to get from crude to level one is going to take, it makes the game even tighter, makes the game so tight and scary. And you, if you make, if you are wrong, if you wrongly spend $1, you might just, you might as well just leave the right, game. But you're not, it, on your first play, you're not going to appreciate how big a difference that four versus that seven. Exactly. Is. Yeah, right. that's right. You know, yeah. once you've got three of the game three times, then you're like, yeah. Then you have a, a much better understanding. An- another big change that happened by, in between my first and my third game was in the first two games, the people who went hard on upgrades won. And in my third game, the person who went hard on upgrades came in last. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because we realized what it does. Now, some people don't like this in a board game. and I, 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 For me, it depends on the board game. Um, I'm going to compare it to Chaos in the Old World, which is a... Uh, a, a, Eric Lang. A, an Eric Lang, Ameritrash, asymmetrical, <laughs> dudes on a map. Yeah, it's a hybrid war yeah. game. Yeah. yeah, fun game, but it has a thing where one of the races, uh, I believe it's corn, is just crazy overpowered. Okay, 
and you play the game and you go, well, that's not fair. That's just broken. But the designer, the intent of the game is no, no, no. Everybody must work to squash that player. That's the game. That is the game. And until you learn how to play that game, that is the, the tug of war. You know, and there's a little bit of an element of that as well in Root, which I am coming to appreciate, which is, you know, the Marquis de Cat at the beginning of the game is everywhere. And you look at it and you go, well, that's broken. That person has a, a, like, you know, a hundred warriors and I have one. Yeah, whereas I always feel the birds are the unstoppable force. And right. so like must stop birds is the uh, right. is, is my mindset going into the game. But so. I think there's a little bit of that in the game. I think there's a little chaos in the old world in this, wherein upgrades are broken. Upgrades are exactly what they are they're upgrades and that person is now better than you and they do things better than you yeah not all of them are great as openers of the game by the way and so some may make it into your game some don't i i I think like having had uh two and a half plays Mm -hmm. now uh, i have a better appreciation for the balance of of the upgrades in relation to the other actions but also the balance between the various kinds Uh, i have a better appreciation of that I still kind of have a problem with, um, okay, here's five different tech trees. Yeah. They're going to have three different powers each, um, some of which you may never have a chance to even access. And so yeah. trying to look at 15 different tech options and make a meaningful decision about it, like it, that's fine, but you're saying, I got to play this game four or five times before I really have absorbed that. Well, we all, potentially, but I think, we all, I think a lot of the learning curve also is, Okay, if that person's going to take an upgrade, the other players need to make them pay for it because they're spending $20, but, but, they're, but by going first, so let's say your first player, your first action, when you first look at this game, is my first action is I go, I buy two upgrades, I lock out a third one, ha, ha, ha. I'm now, and now I have two huge powers. And you know, there's nobody So how are people making them pay for that? Be, so here's exactly how Alfred and I did it when we played with Paul. So Paul went there, he spent $40, he bought two very strong upgrades, that was his first play, right? Then it's, okay, we saw what Paul, we saw, we, we, we needed to disincentivize Paul. We needed to basically make our actions take as many great tiles as we could and buy as much crude oil as we could so that now things, now he has much worse choices in terms of pipes and he has much more expensive oil to purchase. Yeah. And then to make sure, so okay, now we watch as well. So we, it, we actually sort of played it the whole game and it wasn't screw Paul. It was, I think there's a level of, I think there's a chaos and old world element to this. The person who buys that now has a flag on their, you know, you have, now that person has a target on their back. Yeah, I'm just and not so, sure. And this, because there's well, not Paul, Paul decided, well, yeah. right, but there is to a certain extent because then the first time Paul went to buy pipes, he bought orange and blue pipes. Alfred and I now are incentivized to take orange and blue pipes and to buy orange and blue oil and to make sure, because now Paul's behind. He's one turn behind us. Mm-hmm. His engine is one turn behind pipes. His engine is one, tur- one turn behind and buying crude. Yeah, so he's going right, to get worse and, pipes. What people don't understand also, if you haven't played this game, is by opening double upgrade, yeah. that's actually your entire cash on hand. That's it. So your, your next, round two move has to be take, take a loan, which so is So you punitive. are two actions behind. Yeah. And now the other two players or the so, other three so double players. double upgrade at the beginning is actually probably a bad call. P- possibly. But we I saw need Tom to, did it really effectively it in our first one. game because he took double upgrade and used two different things in order to lay six tiles of pipe. Right. Yes. And then he was able to take a loan. Turn three, he was able to buy crude. Turn four, he was running really good, you know, like right. two different colors of 
of oil and one of them was you know double upgrade and he had won the game by turn right. five so, the, the only so thing it's possible right but well but the only thing i'm saying is i think it's also possible because you are two turns ahead of that person mm. is that you need to take advantage of that and be watching what they're what they're you, right. you can tell what they want if they're if you think they're going to buy machines go buy those top two machines are they, are now, they, yeah they went heavy on silver it's like okay i gotta i'm gonna buy some silver buy so their, their 15 loan isn't gonna buy them more than a more single than one barrel one exactly barrel, right. and also okay they if they want now they need tanks well let's guys everybody buy the five dollar tanks real quick now they're in trouble everybody go buy the $20 machines. Now they're in trouble. You know, like, so there's, because they're two turns behind now, you can sort of, their moves are telegraphed to a certain extent and you can, you can really punish them for those two extra turns. And, and we ended up, I think being able to, you know, Paul said at the end that he thinks that our actions probably cost him two, $300 by the end of the game. Um, so, and, and, and it's always a pleasure to hear Paul say something like that <laughs> to you. Totally. But I mean, we were exploring the space. We were trying to, you know, we we're actively like, okay. And, and you know, Al- Alfred had a very strong game, did really well. Uh, I think he bought one upgrade. I think he bought, you know, a level one at some point as well. But, you know, I think upgrades are valuable, but I think I think going all in on them is, I, I think it's easy to punish. Yep. And um, I, I don't think it's broken. Um, well, let's talk about our thoughts. Yep. T- t- some of your thoughts on the game. Well, this is interesting because um, I had, my initial reaction to the game was pretty negative. Mm-hmm. Um, both the, it was the upgrade choice felt kind of random and like, A, the game's very punitive. Yeah, it's really easy to screw up and be trapped in this game, which for, usually would be something that we praise as an element in a game. No, I mean we like being trapped in a game. Well, okay, uh, a, a game that punishes misplays early. You know, I mean, I don't really sell. I don't think we really celebrate that. I'm just it. Um, I'm just saying it's it's a little inaccessible. Okay, like, this is a heavy game. Mm-hmm. Know that that's what you're buying into, yeah. and also that you you really can't expect any kind of degree of mastery without a couple plays. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's a lot. You know, that yeah. if you don't necessarily love it your first time and it's easy to be like, if you're coming into this and you're the new guy, you're not going to win. Right. Oh, um, no, 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 no. You, you, if you, if you never played before and you're playing against people who have played even twice, you have zero chance of winning. Yeah. Right. So we, uh, we had one of these games where like we played five rounds and it's like, okay, Tom, the guy who explained the game, Tom won. Yeah. Like we just said, okay, Tom, you win. Yeah. We need to start over. Totally. Um, and that, and that, and that was necessary. And then we had a more competitive game. And so I have grown to like this game a lot more yep. um, after having kind of two and a half yep. plays now. It's the kind of game I'm good at. Yeah, um, you are good at it. Well, how much did you have in your third or whatever, second, third game of it? I scored 1,036. Yeah, that's insane. I scored just over 600, and I felt I was like playing I, had, against I felt like a noobs, genius. And, True. and also, I was still using the beginner rule of not having any sevens. Right, okay. So yeah. there were, and, the, and then there's, there's also, some, once you stop playing with the beginner end rewards, yeah. you actually have some rewards that can really explode the points. Right, so that's another thing. There are, uh, there are victory conditions, variable victory conditions. Every game you randomly deal out three victory conditions plus one that's always there. And those are just different ways of making different things that will pay out at the end of the game. So yeah, you're not ready for them when you first play, but orange once, pipe, once you are, like they can be very determinative in terms of like, this should impact how right. you're playing and you this ha- particular game. You have to, you cannot win without keeping those in mind. I mean, those, those, your, your, your main strategy. They're big enough that they're, yeah, so this is still kind of a, a game where you can expect end scoring to be a really significant, yeah. almost half. hidden. It's half. I, I, in fact, mine was exactly half. I went into yeah. the end game three. I had three hundred dollars cash, and I had six hundred after end game scoring. It literally was double my in game money, um, and I think I think that's probably usually what it will be. So, I mean, it, much like Gaia Project, you're you have to be getting, and you have to look at the end game scoring. 
Um, and you have to build your strategy around it because you can't win without it. It's just too, it's just too heavily balanced towards that. Um, so even though I like this game better, I yeah. would not, I would probably not say that this is, to, I'm still not to the point of like, this is a strong recommend. I think that mm. the, the group of gamers who's going to really like it is narrow, I, but I think for like the people that play, you know, 200 games of terraforming Mars, yeah. like they're going to like this too, I think. I think so. Yeah, think it's so. real crunchy. I mean, and I think it. Re- I think it deserve. I think it could have a meta in your group. I think it deserves. I think it has a you know a tournament feel to it to a certain extent. I mean, I think. I think the main thing is if you love brass or if you love Age of Steam, I would be shocked if you didn't love this game. I, okay, maybe not loved. I'd be shocked if I you like didn't like better. it. I oh well, I think. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, to say that it's even in in the realm of that is a huge compliment to this game. But I think. Yeah, I mean, I think if you really love those games, I think this is interesting to you. It's worth checking out. Um, if you like heavy yeah, so economic my, games, the you know some of this is just it's heavy and so it feels pretty inaccessible. Um, I'm not sure. Like, there's some errors in the rule book. There's some things that don't feel fully play tested. Couple to typos. Me. Yeah. Um, I ultimately I do kind of have a problem with the upgrade system. It's unique, it, but it, it it I'm I'm still not crazy about it. They're both totally. kind of like over the, the like locking out of upgrades feels like an overcorrection because they're too powerful type mm-hmm. of things like so it it's like you know, there was more playtesting could have resulted in them being dialed down a little bit but also been accessible to everyone and then like my final comment is just like i actually really love like the market mm. aspect of this game like i like games where there's a market yeah. and you can kind of manipulate buy it, and sell to it buy and sell it, yeah. to it manipulate it um and i i actually wish there was more of that here it's in some ways it feels like too open where you're kind of selling for maximum all the time yeah um and i, I wish there was a little bit more Market like the thing that's actually really exciting to me about 18xx games or stock based games is yeah. that kind of like stock manipulation totally. aspect of it. Like that's the most yeah. fun part, and I wanted more of that thing here. Whereas at the end of each year or the beginning of each year, you actually like clear off, yeah. like you reset the markets, and I feel like the reset is almost like too significant. Yeah, in in um, the thing, but it's 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 a good game. I, I'm I'm not feeling the complete. I don't have. I do have some reservations. You're not dying to play it every day. Well, but it is. It is sticking in my brain. Yeah. I mean, it's heavy in a way a good heavy is, and so it's sticking in my in my brain. Let me uh, let me talk. Let's go over my my pros first. Uh, Number one, my favorite thing about this game: if you do not have to teach this game, you can play it in 90 minutes. I think you can do it easily. Do a four player game in 90 minutes of this. Two hours max. We I mean, in a three-player game, we played two games back to back in three hours. Three players is obviously going to be a big difference. In four, we none of us had to teach it. We sat down, boom, we played it, and it was very quick. Um, the I think the the longest part of this game is the time it takes to pick your pipeline tiles yes. and build your pipe network yep. because. You can't just buy them and say, okay, everybody take your turns while I puzzle this out because figuring out which ones you want to buy is the puzzling out of your pipeline network. There is AP. I did genuinely feel I got much faster by my third game. My first game, mm-hmm. uh, I could have stared at it for an hour and, and my brain was on fire and I still was making bad choices. My second game, okay, I'm starting to see my third game. I kind of know what the pipes do. There are only a few different pipes. There's only a few different actual ways the pipes twist and turn. Right. Then at, at, by game three, I was going, I need a blue little type loop with uh, a silver line going through it. I could quickly scan the board. Does that exist? There it is. I need that. And I was making those decisions by game three. I think by game five, game six, I, I could do that pretty quickly. 
I think I can pretty quickly go, okay, I need to blue this, I need this, here's how I loop it back around. You basically know the most effective way to make things is to make things loop sort of back on themselves and make sort of semicircles. I mean, at least to me, that's sort of found, I'm sort of drawing mm-hmm. a snake eating itself and then going forward again kind of thing. Uh, that's yep. sort of the shape that I kept trying to make and it felt to me like the most effective way to do it and an easy way also to get other colors mixed into it. Um, I know what your what a good starting tile looks like now. I want one that has three colors on it um, that I can build out from. So when I place my worker on it, I can, or at least you know three different pipes on right, it, right, right. So that when I place my worker on it, I can always. No, there's push a lot of interesting barrels. things that go into the totally. The pipe but I, the more I played it, I felt like those decisions were coming faster to me. So I, I really honestly believe that this is a two-hour four-player game when there's no teach and everybody's played it three or four times. Um, and I, with with the right people, listen. If well, you sure. if you are the kind of person that is going to be annoyed by people staring at the board mm-hmm. on their turn and trying to figure out what it is they want to do, yeah, um, you're not going to like this game. But because to be you, fair, you should also be doing the same thing on your turn while they're doing that. There's enough. I mean, they might buy your tile, but you can be figuring out your second favorite. Yeah, tile. I guess what I was going to say though is like you, this has this is one of those games where you can't rush through certain decisions. Like you do need to study all right. the pipe options and figure out what's best. Yeah. And you just kind of have to be like, this is one of those games where sometimes we're just going to sit here and stare at things. Yeah. Um, and you kind of have to be okay with that because that's, that's, that's the nature. But, to, of the but I think if you love these heavy economic games, you to, to a certain extent are, are fine no, with it. I, just know, you enjoy I, that I know a number of, of players yeah. who have low patience yeah. for other people's AP. And they're even yep. the people that like call it AP yep. the most are the people that are least, <laughs> least patient with it. That's true. And you know who you are, and this is probably not the game for you. Though. Totally. So one of my pluses to me is it's rare you get a, a game this heavy that plays in this time frame. Um, I think it is a it, it does a couple things brand new that I've never seen before. I think the turn order, I've never seen that before, wherein when you decide the turn order, you decide where you're going to put it, but then somebody else could just knock you out of it. So you're not actually deciding your tort order. You're just saying, here's where I'd like to go, and we'll see what happens. I need you to talk for 30 seconds, Trey, while I go get a power outlet because my laptop's going to die. So the the way the, the variable turn order works in this game is that only half of the action spaces actually allow you to improve your turn order. So you're either kind of like sitting still, in which case you're going to get passed up by other players that take the action spaces that do allow them to improve their action spaces, um, or you're actively kind of like improving it. However, if you are going first and you're saying, I want to go first, then the person who's going second and they say, I want to go first. Well, now you're going second. And then the third person plays and like, well, I want to go first. And so now you're going third. And then right. the fourth person goes and I want to go first. And so now you're fourth. So there's a constant readjustment in terms of a turn order where it kind of inverts itself, right. but only half the action spaces allow you right. to do that. So going last in a round is the only way to guarantee that you will go first the next round. Yes, and so turn order jockeying becomes really critical around these end of year, which actions. can become, the, which I think is the most important in getting upgrades, especially if you have, want a shot at getting those level twos or level threes. Um, which is interesting. So that's new. The tile laying, while you know it, it could be its own little mini game, I think people really like sort of building their little Tetris thing. That to me is new and, and not something you see very often in heavy board games, the sort of little puzzle element. It won't feel game. completely unfamiliar if you've been playing a lot of the Uwe Rosenberg games who are kind of, you know, where you're Tetrising your tiles. Yeah, to like Feast for Odin. Yeah, or Feast for Odin, uh, Patchwork. Patchwork. Like that, yeah. um, he's got a number of those yeah. now. Uh, so if you like that kind out. of thing, you're going to like the laying pipe 
aspect yeah. of this game. I don't typically love that, but I it, it bothered me like you. Yeah. The more I played it, the more I felt comfortable um, mm-hmm. with with taking tiles and kind of knowing what I needed. And totally. so you you can grok it pretty quickly yeah. if if quickly means I've played three games of this now. Another yeah. another in my pro column, I've liked it more every every game I played it. Now when I mm-hmm. first bought it. I wasn't wildly excited about it. I read the rule. Like, it was one of those games where I was like, I bought it off of the publisher and uh, a, a review by Shut Up and Sit Down uh, on their podcast. They, they were blown away by it. And they very rarely, I feel, talk about very heavy games. And if they like it, I usually feel that's a good indication that it is uh, a more interesting heavy game because they feel like they're pretty hard on, on games that are not accessible to a wide audience. Um, so I pre-ordered it on that alone. And I read the rule book and I was like, I'm not getting, I'm not getting excited here. <laughs> like it seems like uh, a little cut and dry. It seems a little simplistic. Um, I got to the table and that first night and I played it and I was like, this is fun. I'm having fun. I'm enjoying this. I'm not dying to play it again. I'm not freaking out about it. Friday brought it on the table. Game two found it really frustrating because I tried something and it failed, but I was so determined and that, that to, to, to figure out what I did wrong, I was really hard on myself after that game because I just feel like I, I was not grokking the system at all. And then game three, I felt that wonderful click feeling. Um, and now I'm kind of dying to play it again. Like I, I've, 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 I feel well, like right. it what you want to do is you, have, you want to have a game now with all the people who have liked the game yeah. and have kind of absorbed it. And yeah. like, let's, let's take it to the next level now. And like yeah. let's, let's play for realsies now. You know? But to me, and, 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 and I, 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 I very rarely will judge a game on, on its, on my first feeling of it. If, if I think it's, um, if, if I, if I see there's cool stuff there, but I'm not like wildly excited about it. Cause I often feel like it's just, I'm, I have not yet absorbed the pacing of the game and the loop of the game yet. So until I absorb the loop, it's hard for me to really judge a game. And if I then absorb the loop and like it more, that's usually a really good sign. I think, mm-hmm. um, so I'm really excited to keep playing this. I, I, I feel like it's fast and quick and brutal and uh, it makes me feel smart and I, it makes <laughs> me uh, feel... Uh, well, ma- any game that can do that. Yeah, and I want to keep playing it and uh, seeing if I can do better and better at it and maybe one day cross the $1,000 mark at the end of the game. But that is... We'll, caps- play, with, we'll play with a bunch of noobs. Yeah, that's yeah exactly. Uh, that's Capstone. Um, I'm going to give it a recommend, but with a lot of caveats of you better like heavy economic games and you better have a group that's down to play it three or four times. Um, but, uh, it's definitely, yeah. And that rules out a lot of, the of more people. interesting games I played this year for sure. Yeah. Very exciting game. Yeah. That rules out a lot of people, maybe not people listening to this podcast. We're now going to move on to our top 10 of the episode. We are doing top 10 games by mechanic. We already talked about mechanic yeah. mechanism. We don't need to talk about that anymore. Nope. We are going to tell you 10 of the big mechanisms, mechanics. I just did it. It's so hard for it's me fine. to break this. It's fine. No, Trey. Uh, we're going to talk about the 10 big mechanics. You've heard of them if you love board games, and we are going to tell you our favorite game per mechanic. The one we think is most representative of it while at the same time being a great game we'd like to play. Trey, do you want to start us off? Or do we want to talk a little bit generally about about mechanics? What, well, what we defines compi- we a mechanic? We were compiling our list here, and we did kind of raise the question of like what makes something a mechanic. Right. Because we were things like... Uh, some things that we were categorizing games like uh, is cooperative yeah. a mechanic. Is I don't, cooperative I don't, a mechanic? I don't think it's a I mechanic. I think cooperative is a genre. But there's no argument about whether worker placement is a mechanic. Right. We know it is. It's the main way you play the game. It's the thing you're going to be doing. I think a mechanic is the thing you're going to be doing on your turn. To me, that's a mechanic. Yeah. 
Although, but see, but mm. card drafting, card deck building is, is a mechanic. That yeah. is the thing you're doing every turn. Worker placement is a mechanic. That's the thing you're doing every turn. Auction bidding is the thing that can happen in a phase of a game. But cooperative is a style. Well, right. And like the, one, the other one that it was like, is hidden trader really a mechanic? Like that's more like an, it's like an element. It's a, it's a component. It's a, <laughs> it gets a, tricky. It's an aspect of the game. Yeah. I'm not sure that hidden trader is actually a mechanic, but and but maybe by um, going through these, it will yeah. become. I think um, the ones clear. we picked are all mechanics, and I, I think they're. I think they are the main mechanics. Okay, so let's start off with the thing. The, the the number one. I don't actually have these in order, yep. but the the number one. To me, and it, it, it probably has more to do with the kind of games that I like, the thing that I feel like is the most defining Euro game yeah. thing aspect is probably worker placement. Yes. Um, as, as a mechanic. That's something that like nobody, we didn't play any games growing up. No. That did this and... Um, Potentially invented by Bus, some people say, the Splatter game. Made most famous by a game called Kalis. And then, of course, Puerto Rico. And then, of course... The one that I think made it a household name in our community, at least, is Agricola. Yeah. And so what we're talking about with, with worker placement is we are going to take actions. Um, generally, we're going to have multiple ones per round, generally. And then there, you can debate whether by going to a certain action space on the board is someone else then prohibited from doing that thing. Right. I tend to think that that actually is kind of an essential component of worker placement so you don't think actually blocking is essential like if i go there you cannot go there i think that actually is an essential part of of what makes something worker placement and it's why why pipeline's not i don't think pipeline is i think it's more just like an that's an action identification system yeah and we know what's funny is you actually don't need the worker in that game you could just say i'm taking that you could point to it it's a tracking mechanism for everybody and it's it's to limit you from what your secondary can be because yeah there's a little bit of restriction of like if you go to refined market you can only do but otherwise yeah there's it's just you're just you're just going i'm going to do that but if you're talking about okay what is in my so the one that um this that first, my first worker placement that I played that I really loved was Kalis. Yeah. Amazing um, game. If you've never played it, incredible. Now it prob- people kind of feel like it's old, so it's not making... Oh, I'll play it, Kalis, any day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, people that are coming into the industry right now are exploring board games. Like, they're probably not going to end up with Kalis. Yeah. That, like, that no, window has closed. Year 10, they will try Kalis and go, oh, and they should. Yeah. And, and it's great. And then, for me, the epitome worker placement game was... Agricola and yeah. that and again like getting to the blocking aspect of it is at the core yeah. of that game you you know you have these different action spaces they're not all equal yeah. that's actually part of the design yeah. they're not all equal we're making choices about what we want and yeah. we're snatching family these things growth up. is always better than pretty much every other action <laughs> well but, and not everybody qualifies so right. sometimes you're making decision of like I can take family growth, but nobody else can, so I can wait. Right. Um, I really need that wood. Uh, you yeah. Know, but really taking the clay here is going to wreck. Yeah. Wreck Alfred. Right. So I'm taking the clay. Yeah. Um, it, it. There's a ton of richness in these games in in terms of not just I'm getting resources, but I'm also denying things to others. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Agricola sometimes has been criticized as being multiplayer solitaire. In fact, it's it's got incredible interaction in terms yeah. of the the worker placement spaces um, themselves. That creates the name. The entire game is 
what are, what is that person across from me going to do? What do I need to do? What is the order it needs to happen in? And am, am I going to get hosed by not getting what I need here? Yeah, I mean, that to me is sort of feast or famine is sort of the feel of worker placement. It's like, oh, I need these things and that should scare me. So I need to figure out what, what I'm going to do if I don't, because I probably won't, because it's pretty obvious what I need and anybody else paying attention will know what I need and, and so they probably the, need it too. Yeah, and the game rewards you not just playing like what's the, um, if you're playing the game in terms of like, well, what's the best thing for me right now? Yeah. And you're not looking at other people's boards yeah. and saying, um, what's the worst thing for like, them? I, um, the best <laughs> thing for me might be family growth right now, but if no one else can do it, right. then I don't need to take There's it. No rush. And so you need to be able to be, you always have to be looking to the left and your right and saying, well, what can other people do? What right. are they likely to do? And, you know, getting all the things you need. Sometimes it's possible because you kind of guess right yeah. in terms of what order can I do it? Yeah. So what's, you, what's your number one game? In terms well, of I, I wanted to choose my favorite that's uh, uh, w- that's not an Uwe Rosenberg game because <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would choose Agricola. And, I, and, and, and I, actually, my favorite worker placement, Uwe Rosenberg, would, would be Lahav, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, Voyages of Marco Polo, if I have to play a worker play, if I had to say what my favorite worker placement game ever is, I would say it's probably Voyages of Marco Polo. Because what I love about Voyages of Marco Polo is you're not necessarily blocked from anything but it's going to get a lot more expensive the right. later you so go. Right, so in there, it's not like there's things that are necessarily completely exclusive, but there's yeah. definitely better spaces. Yeah, there's better spaces, but it also, like, if you don't go there, or it's the mm-hmm. it, it, you're going to pay for it. Like, you can go there fourth. It's going to cost you all your money, though, because you're going to have to pay for the other people that are already there, and you're going to have to pay more money to go there after them, and you're going to get worse stuff. Um, that game, to me, is such a wonderful worker placement because uh, I, I can always do what I want, but I, I have to play that same game. I really have to figure out what order I need to do it in. So you make you have to have this priority list in your head, and you're making these really interesting choices about you know what's my priority list, and then the the the, the economy of it because you're having to you have to well here's how much money I'm going to need if he goes there before me. Here's how much money I'm going to need if I go there before him. And there's huge swings in your money pile that you have depending on the order that you start going places. Both of these games have an aspect of I'm taking actions to get things. Yeah. And then the part two of that is then what do I do with them? Right. What, how do I convert those resources into yeah. my engine Yeah. Um, in some way? And those games are very different in terms of like what you do with the resources you get. Mm-hmm. But the collecting of the resources is kind of like half the game. Yeah. And that's where they're actually most similar. Yeah. Because uh, like there's no moving on a map in a in Agricola. Right. But the kind of I'm we're grabbing resources, we're prioritizing what do I need in, here. And, yeah. And in, in, in Marco Polo, it's, it's usually in order to fuel your journeys on a map. And the travel action is one of the most interesting spots on that board because uh, the last person to go there is first next turn. And that is wildly important to go first in Marco Polo. Wildly, first player is just so strong in that game. And to travel last is this really fun puzzle to figure out in order how to do that and yada and have the money for it. All right, really so that great. segues really well to um, my number two um, mechanic, which is, and this is a super basic one, but um, very- yeah, I actually pushed back on this when you first explained it to me because I didn't feel like this was actually a mechanic, but then you explained it to me and I- completely was wrong. I actually think it's a great addition to this. So we're talking about variable turn order. Yeah. I mean, that's simple. What does that mean? It just means that the order in which players go is going to change over the course of the game based upon decisions that we make. It's not like Monopoly where you decide first player and then just go in a circle until the game ends. That's right. right. Now, this is not at all an essential element of a Euro game, but a lot of the games that I like the best 
do have it. And, and it I adds a lot of richness. And it's one of those things that people who don't play modern board games are surprised by because <laughs> it's one of those things you introduce them and they go, oh, well, that's, you know, that's, it's not an element in any classic board games, you know, of the Monopoly, Clue, Sorry, Risk world. It is a, you know, a, an invention of modern board games, this concept that not only maybe are we going to be having a different play every round, but it might not even go clockwise or counterclockwise. It might go, it might ping all over the table and we might have very different. Right. When we, when we play time. Gaia Project, it's often the case that the order is like a figure eight. Yeah, exactly. Um, on, on the table, but it, it just does, it also opens up, um, prioritizing when I go in the turn order can become really important and yep. you can actually you sometimes have to sacrifice quite a lot in order to move yourself up in the, in the turn order. So it just makes for a richer, um, decision space. Yeah. Uh, and it's just not something in the simpler games. Um, we didn't know we were missing in variable turn order. Yeah. Whereas we do play like Concordia, which kind of st stays as like our great light to medium weight board game it does not have turn order a variable turn order right. like once it sets it it just it just goes and that's why it, it's one of the reasons why it stays on the lighter side it's still yeah. it's beautiful um and that's one of the reasons that it, it's simpler do you have a favorite that uses the mechanic um listen we've, we've now looked at a lot of different ways um agricola was the one where like it was the most important but i yeah. like gaia better and I'm not, I'm sure that this is not unique to Gaia project or terraforming Mars. I mean, not a, or, um, Terra Mystica. Yeah. But in this case, it's simply, you know, the order in which you pass the order in which you finish your turn, mm -hmm. um, determine like the person who passes first is going to go first next turn. Right. And but then we're going to track that not just for who goes first becomes the first player. And then we go clockwise around, which right. is what Agricola does. We're actually going to say the later you go, that's the la later yeah. going to be in the, in the that's turn the order. Reverse, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd say my favorite for variable turn order is uh, Race for the Galaxy or New Frontiers in the fact that you have to choose to play a specific action in order to say, I'm going first next round. And usually that is a pretty crappy action, mm -hmm. but you're doing it because you need to go first next round. And so you that's will... New Frontiers. That's not Race, but that's, the, that's New Frontiers. Doesn't Race do it also? Isn't one of the, one of the uh, orders you can play... Isn't that giving you priority? You simply, you've got a tile and you flip and you say, this is what we're doing. Right, but isn't one of them make you first player? I feel like it does, no? Okay, maybe I I'm think wrong. so. What, well, would that do, what would that do in race? Because we're yeah, all playing simultaneously. Yeah, okay. We're but going through the phases. Take yeah. cards, development, yeah, settlement. Right. Well, in New Frontiers, okay. Then, yeah, it's a New Frontiers right. thing. Yeah. Yeah. New Frontiers does it really well. I actually, I love New Frontiers and prefer it to race, but mm -hmm. uh, New Frontiers does it in a really interesting way where you can take a pretty crappy action to guarantee you go first next time, but you can also take a slightly less crappy action to just go up one in turn order so now you're third instead of fourth uh and there's just sort of an interesting jockeying of, of you know how important turn order is to you and just to slowly move up over time while taking decent actions i just found it was an interesting new sort of twist on it i hadn't seen yeah and we um to, d to disparage one of our one of our own here uh dimitri has a, had a reputation i'm not sure it's still true but he overvalued starting player in a lot of games right. a lot of times and so we we had to institute uh, a policy a lot of times when playing certain games with dimitri where we would randomize seat order because being to the left of dimitri was a distinct advantage because right. you would always playing, go second for free that's right right um all right number three card drafting card drafting what's card drafting all right so the what we're talking about here i'm uh the my number one, the thing that I think most people think about is Seven Wonders. Yeah. So card drafting meaning we all have a hand of cards. Pick one, pass the rest. Right. And you're going to keep 
and that's going to be the things that you play from. Right. So a lot of people will be most familiar with this if they're in the hobby world in a Magic the Gathering draft, which is going to be opening up a pack, picking one card, passing the rest of the person on your left. That's, you know... The mainstay of every game shop in America is doing that every Friday. So night. right, this is a, something that kind of started as a way of balancing some games. Right. Like Agricola played competitively has to have card drafting. Right. You can't just take random cards. No, it's an essential just, so part. So much luck. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it also allows you to build strategy by what cards you take. Yeah. And I think Seven Wonders said this aspect of these other games is so interesting. That, let's just make that the game. Yeah, that's the whole game in Seven Wonders, basically. Because yeah. it's not even like I'm taking these cards and then I'm going to play them later. Yeah. Well, it's the, like I'm yeah. of these of my hand right now. I'm going to play one and then I lose, and I'm playing it right now. Yeah, and then I'm going to lose everything else. Yeah, there are two mechanics in the game, and the other one is uh, we're going to talk about later. Is one of my, it's in also Seven Wonders. The other mechanic in that game is I think a perfect version of it. But yeah, it's I mean it is definitely uh, a, a, the king of card drafting. To me, I pick Terraforming Mars. It's my favorite game that uses card drafting. I think it's, I would never play the version of the game without card drafting. Um, no. And I think it's just the most fun part of the game. It's like, it gives you that feel if you've ever done a Magic Gathering draft of like, you're opening a fresh pack and you're like, oh man, I could get, I could get the exact combo piece I need here or okay, I didn't. Well, let's figure out how I'm going to make lemons out of this lemonade here. Uh, or right, but that is a much more like that is a much more complicated game than Seven Wonders. Oh, yeah. Where like Seven Wonders, you're playing that card right now. Yeah. Whereas in Terraforming Mars, these become you're, uh, you know arrows in your quiver. Yeah, and you may use it, you may not, you may even be hate drafting. Yeah. You may be like, I know this card would make the player to my left's game. Therefore, I must just simply buy it and yeah. uh, deny that person. Yep. Thing, uh, and then we have an example recently of um, a of the same principle um, card drafting where it's actually tile drafting. We yeah. play the game Neom, yeah. which is a, a, Sims, worth a, a seven, at some point. seven, uh, seven wonders meets um, SimCity. So it's really the same mechanic entirely. It's just rather than a card, it's a tile right. and it's going to be uh, placed. So that's, that's really the same thing. That's fun. I actually didn't know that's what that is and I'm excited to play it now. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a good game. Very light place, yeah. place fast. All right. Um, Next mechanic, not mechanism ever. All right, the next uh, games that have uh, auction systems or bidding. Um, what do you mean by that? At some point, we are going to all be bidding some kind of currency mm -hmm. on an item. Secretly? Sometimes. Sometimes. Put it in your hand. Everybody fists on the table. Flip them up. Flip it. Yep. So that would be like Warrior Knights. That would um, that would be Tribune. Mm -hmm. That we like. That's one of our great underrated uh, mm -hmm. games. Tribune does that. Um, as an aspect of of the game, um, probably most people will encounter it the first time if you're older, having played Age of Steam and yeah. bidding for turn order. The whole game is decided brutal, by that auction there. Yeah. Or Power Grid too has a great bidding system, right? Yep. Um, and then the the one that um, is kind of most friendly and lightest, where um, it's essentially like half the game is Castles yeah. of Mad King Ludwig, where you're bidding on rooms to go into your castle. And so you have a, an auction system. So it's kind of half divided between, you know, auction for getting a piece and then you have to place it right. in your castle. To me, my favorite auction bidding game is a newer game by Capstone Games. Uh, they reprinted uh, The Estates. To me, it is the only game that has, that is just auction. That's it, literally the game is, can you make the correct bid? That's it. That's the whole game. Whoever makes better bids yep. wins that game. To me, like, if if the world became a Hunger Games type battle and the warfare was bidding, the estates is how you would train. 
you know, like <laughs> that's the game you would play and to be, to get better at bidding if your life depended on it. It's just, it is the, that, that's the whole game. It's just who is better at crunching the numbers and figuring out the vibe of the room, the other players understanding what their thoughts it, are and it putting can also the be so social. It's it. so social, not just because yeah. you're bidding against other people, but there's times where I'm out of it right. and it's going around the table and you're like, Jake, Jake, you need to bid yeah, 12 here, please, to. Jake. Yeah. You cannot let this, t- you cannot let Tom get this, yeah. you know? Um, so that's, that's, often, yeah. that's often a fun uh, aspect. Totally. Uh, of the game. But yeah, it is just, it is that, I mean, if, if ever a game just took one mechanic and only did that and made a whole meal of it, I think it is the estates with auction. Yeah, it kind of boils it down. Yeah, it's just, that's all we're doing Which here. is like an idea I think we're going to see a, a lot in our discussion today is like sometimes there are aspects of games that were, that were really interesting that they then take and say, you know, we're just going to do this part. Yeah. Like this part of the thing is the most interesting thing about the game. Let's actually cut out all that other stuff and just make it about this bidding thing. Yeah. All right, next up, um, area control. Yeah, this is, I think, this along with worker placement are probably the two most hallmark mechanics of modern board gaming. Now, this is an interesting one because I think this can mean a lot of different things. It can mean risk, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That's area control. Yeah, we're here. You're going to get a bonus for getting it's like a certain set the yeah. set of australia the set of europe the set of Africa. so what, what does area control mean area control means usually you whoever has the most pieces in a space wins it rules it get something scores from more it points. scores it whatever it is but you are it's about who has the most the majority the highest number the most power in a specific place on a board. Yeah, and I'd saw I'd seen like uh, BGG lists even like Gaia Project as area control, which I yeah. which was kind of fuzzy. But then I was thinking like it, it probably has more to do with like the end game scoring. Yeah, how scoring can happen. Sure. Uh, at the end, it's like we're gonna look and see who has the most on the entire map yeah. of certain things, like who has the most Gaia planets. Yeah, and that's gonna you know you're gonna score on that. So the the game that I think is the um, prototype or the the most extreme example of this is, is also kind of the oldest, well, not oldest, but uh, El Grande. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt that that is the, if, if somebody said, what's area control, that's the game I'd bring to the table. So the way El Grande works is there's about seven different um, areas yeah, in within Sp- Spain. Within Spain, yeah. And we're placing little armies inside them the whole time. And we can cubes. manipulate They're it. Just movement. They're just Don't cubes. Don't get too excited. But at the end of a turn, we're going to score most of these and there's we're going to say okay whoever wins this particular area they're going to get seven points and whoever's in second is going to get yeah. four yeah and so you're often making a decision about like is it worth all my resources yeah. to just win this one is area that, is that differential or, between first and third worth the amount or would of i actions? rather score second in four different areas exactly. um, usually you would rather score second in many areas than first in one or two yeah but this is a, this is the decision space of the game is competing over various areas and who has enough to control and there's probably no bonus for like winning big. If right. you're first place with 10 units and I'm in second with one, yeah. boy that was really inefficient of you. Yeah. Now to me uh, El Grande is definitely the definition of of that. But what I think is the the game that, favorite. Is, that has used it in the most genius, brilliant, incredible way is Twilight Struggle because it is the whole game. Much like how uh, the estates is just one thing boiled down. I mean, yeah, you're using cards. Yeah, there, that, there's a whole you know a hand management aspect to it. But the game is this area control, and the cards are just about where you're going to decide to focus your intents and what areas matter to you. And the different areas matter at different points in the game because different areas are scored at different times. And not only are you fighting over every little area on the map to see who has more power there, and it's all done with these chits. 
So if I have one power, it, and, it, and it's binary, either I have power there or you have power there. We do never share the space. And if I have two, you need to take me down to zero and then add one. So the difference between me having two and you having one is three. So you have to spend three in order to put one there if I have two. Uh, but then, then there's three different levels to it. And, and then not only that in each little area, then each little area is built up of a whole sort of section or a continent. And then those continents those are going to get scored too. have scored are scored as well. And there's, if you have a certain amount of if, if control over the continent, there's presence, there's domination, there's control, there's all these different levels to it. It's such a genius way to do it. And, and, it really feels like these intense little micro battles and then macro battles for sections of this map. And then there's parts where you just go, that's a loss for the whole right. game. I'm never going to worry about that. You won. I, I submit to you, but did you notice what's happening in Southeast Asia? Cause I'm about to win the game there. Right. Like it's, it's such it's rich. a, it's rich. It's so rich. It's such a genius game. Yeah. All right. Let's skip the next one. Go to set collection. Okay. What is set collection? Okay, so I think we kind of see two different things here. Matt, your number one example is, you want to start off with yours? Yeah, it's Seven Wonders. I mean, to me, in Seven Wonders, you are... And you're specifically talking about green, like the green cards, right? Well, I'm talking about everything in that game. You are are choosing certain types of sets. So I'm choosing resources. I'm choosing gold cards because they're all going to score differently, potentially score at the end of the game. The green ones, yes, are clear. The most I have of them, I'm going to get, you know, exponential points for them. But I think I'm building, I'm I'm focusing. What we're saying is there are rewards for building particular combinations of cards that are kind of explicit. And and they're built in a set of specific colors. So, you know, getting. So in Seven Wonders, the more sets of these three different types of icons, and it rewards you both for having a lot of one kind yeah. and it rewards you for having diversity well. yeah. and so you have kind of almost like a grid of, yeah. grow, of growing I mean, points go- as you get more of them and one of those choices is am i going you know am i going big on brown cards or gray cards you know like and and, and who's next to me and what sets are they collecting so that i don't have to worry about them because i know i can get them from them i mean to me it's that when i think of like you know focusing on specific types of it's usually set collection, I feel like, is cards. I mean, although you could look at Teo to walk on and the masks mm-hmm. is definitely Absolutely. set collection. Absolutely, that is definitely set collection. Um, but yeah, to me, I don't know. That that was the first thing that jumped out at me as a game that I love in terms of really focusing on how to put together sort of rows of similar colored things in order to you know uh, maximize my score. And generally, we'll see it in, in, in a lot of games. This will be an option. Mm-hmm. And it's not nece- like uh, it's not necessarily like the core of the game is set collection, um, or at least that's uh, like you you can totally do fine without taking any mm-hmm. green cards. Yeah, in 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 Seven Wonders. I mean, you could almost say like tech trees in uh, like Zolkin is set collection to a certain extent. I mean, you're it's you're you're doubling down on a specific thing that does nothing other than reward you for being better at it. I mean, that's a form of set collection. I think you're getting, I think you're in danger of getting so broad in your definition here that it's, that it's, it's, it's losing meaning. I mean, I think the masks are a great example. And here, like you're, you're not getting uh, in tail to walking. You're not getting points for exact, for getting the same mask numerous times. It's like, you're actually trying to build a set of eight different and unique things. Like that's the best way to, to score. Well, and we have a player in our group who will always go for set collection. If there's a set collection element in the game, who is that? It's Dimitri. Yes, Dimitri. And we know that. Anytime we have a game where there is something to be collected, Dimitri will collect it. But this is why it's also a good mechanic a lot of times is because it's a way of simplifying your decision space. Yeah. And some people really enjoy that aspect of like, okay, if I focus on this one thing, I can do well. I'm going to focus on that one thing. Yep. So um, the 
the game that probably nobody plays. And he always goes green in Seven Wonders, yeah, famously, and that's why I, I can't play with him in that. It's just he steals you just, all the green. I never, just, I've never gone green in the game of Seven Wonders playing with the major. You might be able to if you're completely <laughs> across the table from him. True, but true. It's still like you know, like you can win the game of Seven Wonders quite easily if you're the only person going green. And yeah, Dimitri's at the table. You're like, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I, the the one I remember um as like my first set collection game was the old Avalon Hill Civilization. Mm-hmm. game because the economy of that game was actually uh based upon the number of cities you have on the board you're generating uh more trade cards okay you know, uh, in denominations of one two three and it was like hides ochre salt um and the more of the each of these cards you put together they start to grow exponentially in terms of what they are worth so something like uh you know three gold cards might be worth 81 but it might take you know, uh, nine hides right. to be worth 64 or something, right, right, or, right. Or something like that. Um, and so then you have this uh, game in which you're trading different types of goods because by, by g- building bigger and bigger sets of certain kinds, you're getting more money to spend on your civilization and upgrade things and, uh, and build. And so that was the first one where I'm like, okay, you're making a decision. Am I, cl- what am I doing here? Am I collecting salt? Right. Am I going for the high priced item? Am I, or am I willing to trade my gold to someone else in order to get, you know, four hookers, two salts and a, you know, some, something else. Sure, sure. Um, so co- collecting had more value. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next on the list of something that's really commonplace in, yeah. um, modern Euro games that we all kind of crave is what is var- variable player powers, right? Asymmetrical powers. We often call them mm-hmm. where everybody at, starts out with, or at some point gains a different play style or powers or right. That's strengths. a good point. Like a lot of times we will see like a uh, pipeline. You don't start with any, but right. you're going to differentiate yourself pretty quickly yep. in terms of how you play. Whereas if we play... Or there's just those upgrades, which literally give you powers that other people don't right, have. Right, but we're starting on even footing other than turn order. Right. Whereas if we play Gaia Project, yeah. we, are, we are choosing a race. Yeah, and we are right often off the playing path. wildly different games at, you know, at a core level. Right, and so it's it, in a sense like again. Or you look at root. I mean, that is you know you're even more extreme. Literally, right. the rules are yeah. different for yeah. for every single um, yeah different uh, race race you're playing there. Um, Faction, fact, right? Races, races. Uh, They're just animals. Problem, <laughs> problematic one. So the 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 one the game that first kind of did this and almost defines it is Cosmic Encounter. Yeah. Sure. Or Dune. Yeah. I mean, the same designers. Yeah. They're, they're sort is that of, right? Yeah. Realize. Same designers as Dune and Cosmic Counters. They're, I'll look them up. But the, the, they, they sort of, yeah, they invented this sort but of But this concept. is a way of thinking about board games, especially if you're getting into design, is you're, you, you think, okay, what are the core rules of my game mm-hmm. to, to make it play and, mo- and play in its most generic way? And then what Cosmic Encounter does, and all these games kind of after that, is it says, okay, this one faction is going to be able to break one of those rules in an interesting way. It's Bill Eberly, Jack Kittredge, and Peter Olatka. There you go. Three three gentlemen who I believe worked at Avalon Hill. So this works both to make the game richer in terms of replayability. You can try out different things by playing different factions and playing it from a different angle. But I think it also has a tremendous amount of value in terms of learning the game in the first place because it will narrow your decision space mm-hmm. um a lot of times you wonder in a game like gaia project and you're overwhelmed with the possibilities of different mm. things that you can do but if i am playing a faction that is really good at building up tectiles mm. this will funnel you into a strategy. yeah it helps really narrow that decision space and say okay i need to be doing this yeah I need so to be going you are this good path. at this do this yes 
And if you don't take advantage of that of that uh, faction asymmetry, you're probably going to lose. I'd be hard pressed to say that this is my favorite board game mechanic, but I'd say it's the one that I'm makes me most excited to try a game. If 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 it doesn't look like an interesting game to me, but there are variable player powers, I'm usually down to try it at least once. I just I always find that fascinating um, and an exciting concept because. It's it's sort of actually like my holy grail thing is like that's why I think I'm really excited about Root is I really I love I love uh, I love a meta and I think asymmetrical games create a meta better than any other board game which can give you that thing that you know I played a lot of Android Netrunner for a long time and that's going to be one of my examples here of favorite, uh, variable player powers I like when we have wildly different powers and I like when it's balanced properly and I like when well good luck with that. Well, that's the thing. (laughs) It's it's never balanced. I I didn't say balanced perfectly, but balanced properly because imbalance can be proper balance in an asymmetrical board game. As long as there's a, as long as there's a way to make that the game, Um, you know, chaos with the old world example of that. But, you know, I, I, I just, I, I love that feeling of creating a meta in a group. It's something that, that the socialization aspect of board games is, it's one of my favorite things that, that, that can occur, the alchemy that can occur in that, in that realm. So, that's my dream is always finding like the perfect asymmetric game that we all like. It's well, na- sexy. It's it sexy. is, but it's, it's also, also like, a way of oh, like really exploring the theme of the game. Yeah. Right? But also it gives it, it gives the game such legs to me too, because it's like not only I can get really good with every faction, you know, like that now there's like nine games. Yeah. You here. want to explore. That. Yeah. And like, okay, even if I bored of the game, I've never played them before. Like now it's a whole new game to me. So that's, I, I just love that aspect of it. So Android Netrunner to me is like the ultimate variable player power game where not only is every single, you know, character in that game completely different, but there are two sides and they're playing completely different games. You know, corporations and runners are playing literally different games different rules different things they're doing different actions you know but we're fighting against each other and there's this wonderful balance and within that you know your deck is asymmetric your character is asymmetric so to me it was just that blew my mind i spent probably seven eight years of my life very deep in the world of android netrunner so when you're talking about that you're not just talking about like the different you're like when you play uh, android netrunner you have uh, the hacker and you have the yeah. corporation right yeah but like, so, so within and, that you and have even your, within that your character like, that's asymmetrical just to begin yeah. with but then you go into and then i'm going to play like this faction i'm the shaper faction yeah, um, yeah. And, but within that faction i'm playing kit or whatever so you like know? when we play game of thrones lcg yeah. there's like this is house yeah it's the house but then it's you know but the, beyond that it's like if you chose there's the banner. house but then also chose well now you know if, if somehow you could be ed stark or something and you know he mm-hmm. he gets two points on whenever he does military attacks or whatever you know uh but yeah the other version is marco Voyages of marco polo what i love about voyages of marco polo is my favorite thing about that game is every single person that you could be in that game is absolutely broken <laughs> but they're all <laughs> and it is equally, your duty to break the game with all this power equally crazy you, i mean you, my favorite thing but is the thing is they're not equal it's it, okay okay but pretty close but I don't all, know. as long as they're all interesting here's what i yeah and they're within okay. a certain space of balance but one of my fine. favorite things is teaching that game and then teaching everybody the rules and then explaining what the powers do and watching everybody go 
well, that's crazy. Because like you just said, like, so you have to move all around the map and it's going to take you a long time to do it. Okay, first player power. This guy decides wherever he wants to go. What? Like, next guy. They start the game anywhere. Ne- yeah. Yeah. Remember, gold's the most valuable resource. This person just has all the gold they want. Oh, what? Like, you know, it's like Dune. You hear the powers, you're like, well, that's crazy. But then you hear the next one, you're like, well, that's crazy too. And by the end, you're just like, I don't know, give me any of them. They're all insane. Right, but, and, but that's fun, right? It's so that fun. That translates yeah. into fun. It's like, it's like a, it feels like a toy. Like, you're just so excited to grab any one of those characters so and play them the downside of this in our group can be when we play um where there's some are better than others potentially yeah is, or, or is that is we, well, the we downside can be are. when uh tom will play the game with me with you and he'll be like oh you, you think that marco polo yeah sure. character's not good let me let me sh- i'll take uh-huh. it well, that's great I'll take it. Yeah, and then he I just you know that. beats you badly yeah with, with that power that's supposed to be so bad and sure yeah, that, I think that's maybe his greatest pleasure <laughs> is, is beating you with the quote-unquote bad power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay, next. Uh, we have uh, deck building or even like I think typically we'll call a game a deck builder. A deck builder? Because we want to distinguish between games like Magic and other yeah. LCGs where you build your deck as yeah. a precursor to actually playing the game. Here we're talking about a game where you actually build the deck that you're playing with as part of the game and yep. it may even be the core thing that you are doing yeah. in the game is putting together your uh your hand or your deck that you're then gonna cycle through and this is uh one of the rare board game mechanics that we can directly attribute to one person who created it and they created a genre and a mechanic at the same time it was with dominion and it's donald x vaccarino and he invented deck building he invented the genre of it and the mechanic so uh, you're, it, you, you, I guess you know this story better than I do because I thought that did this come out of like he was designing a different game, right? Or and this was an aspect of it, and then he kind of said, "Oh, this in itself is the cool thing." It's just oh, that's interesting. I actually don't, I don't know the design history behind Dominion. I just know he designed Dominion, and no game had ever done this before. And not only did it create a genre of games, which mm-hmm. we see a million of now, but it's actually uh, you know Mage Knight. Then I remember when Mage Knight first came out, and people were like, "Whoa, somebody's taken like Dominion and." put it on a crazy euro uh you know and everybody was like it's the deck building euro and you know now we're now we don't even think about it like just you know there's a concept of you know changing your deck throughout a game or even gloomhaven changing your deck throughout a campaign it's mm-hmm. just such a we just take it for granted now it's like you know a part of board games. right so the composition of your deck defines the engine that you're gonna play yeah well and it's gonna change over the course of the game and maybe there's not even anything more to it than building that engine because yeah. in dominion you're just you kind of build your deck you flip your cards mm-hmm. what do you do with those cards yeah tom, tom next put turn it, tom put it well it's a shopping simulator you know <laughs> i mean it's, it's, it's that's yeah it's it's i i i often i've to me deck building is so second nature now if somebody says it's a deck builder they almost only need to tell me 30 seconds of the differences of the rules right, right. and if i play a brand new deck builder, i but like i played with my brother-in-law a little while ago and i taught him uh infinity shard which is a fun little two-player deck builder game and i while teaching it he had never even fathomed the concept of a deck builder before nor played one so just the concept of okay you have a hand of cards uh no no no, you don't play them one at a time just you play all your cards okay what like that's your pool of cards now okay so you have four money and three military okay uh you can buy something from the market for four like slow down what like (laughs) you know it's like you're used to having a hand of cards okay i play a card boom i played a card what happens like nah play all your cards what do you have? 
That's how, that's what you have this round and then buy things. Okay. Can I use them? No. Where do they go? It's your discard pile. Why did I buy them? Because when, when you've gone through all your cards over here, then you'll shuffle those and you're, what? So I get them for later, but when do I get them? I don't know. They're going to be somewhere shuffled in your deck, but the, 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 watching the light turn on as yeah. they realized like I'm creating this deck, like then the, the content, oh, I'm building a deck. It, 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 you know, it's that's just, the pleasure in it is the yeah. mind blow yeah. aspect of it. Cause it's, I'm sure there was a point in which he got it. Right? Oh yeah. There's one. And, and then it's like, Oh, now, now we're off to the races, but there's like, there's one of those mechanics that like, I think with worker placement, things like that, when people who have never played modern board games, see it, they're just like, well, this is why, why, why don't all games have this? I'm like, well, they kind of do, <laughs> you're just new to this world. Uh, let's talk about our favorite deck builders. Do you have a favorite deck builder? Uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with uh, Dominion, and I'd say if you're going to be serious about um, board game design or you're a, a, a board game enthusiast, you have to play Dominion. Yep. You have to understand what it is. It's, it's one of those games you have to play. I played it so much I sold it and never needed to play it again, and part of that is because I play so many deck builders, and now I just sort of I will own one or two at most, and I... Um, I've my newest favorite one, which I've never shown you because I, I don't necessarily think you would love it. But uh, I, it's a game called Thunderstone Quest, which I think is I played it and I sold all my other deck builders because if I want to play a deck builder, that's the deck builder I'm going to play. It is a classic Dominion deck builder, but with this really fun leveling up system that it feels like an incredible combination of an RPG and a deck builder. And I played it and I went, well, I would never want to play without this element anymore. There's this dungeon. So was there Thunderstone and then Thunderstone Quest? Yeah, or Thunderstone Quest thing? is brand new. Okay. Thunderstone Quest came out in the last year. It was a Kickstarter. Okay. I bought it retail. Because Thunderstone came right after Dominion yeah. and Thunderstone is just explored Dominion a lot clone. of the same space. So yeah, after Dominion, there was Ascension and there was Thunderstone and there was a couple of these other games that came these out. These are all really good games. Great games, yeah. yeah. But Thunderstone, but I got bored of that. I don't want to just, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to play that game. I played that game. They're all the same. But <laughs> Thunderstone Quest, it, it, to me, added a whole new level of. It's, it's everything you like about that, but then there's this rogue-like element to it where you're going into this dungeon and it's a push your luck, how far are you willing to go while building your... So you basically you build your deck and then take that deck and see how long it can last in a dungeon. And then the farther you get in it, the better your deck will be. And then you come out, but then the dungeon... And then are you making a decision of like, do I stop now? Yeah, you decide how... Because you can kind of bust, right? You can bust. Yeah, yeah. you decide how far you... Or your, your deck can also just crap out. So, and But the farther you go, the better rewards you're going to get, which is going to make your deck better, which is going to make your run into the dungeon better next time. Yeah, really it's, fun, it's, really it's cool. It's a very interesting space. Yeah. So somebody just did something. I was like, well, I'll just this is the only one I'll want to play. Um, bag builders was also a huge uh, element to so this it. Is, yeah. Variation. Yeah. Rather variation. Than cards. Orleon was obviously the, the, the breakout there. You're doing the exact same things instead of buying cards, you're buying little chits and you're putting them into a bag and you are blind pulling from that bag. Um, Altaplano, I think to me was, I sold, I mean, I didn't sell Orleon actually, I still have it, but I, I would never play Orleon instead of Altaplano unless I had new players because Altapano is much heavier. But to me, Altapano was just such a huge jump over it that it was, uh, you know, just awesome. Love it. Quacks oh, yeah, of, like both but, of Yeah, Quacks of Quedlinburg would also be, you know, definitely a bag builder and, and, and that it is sort of the very light Dominion version of, uh, you know, bag building. It's interesting. I, I find bag builders, um, and this is just my weird headspace, I don't enjoy them as much as the card ones because there's something about putting my hand in the bag where I feel like I'm, if I don't pull what I wanted, like yeah. I did it wrong. Yeah. In a sense, like, so I can get real superstitious and mm -hmm. like, it's just not a, a fun headspace yeah, as a opposed to just psychological thing from just flipping the, the cards. cards. So I'm yeah. real tempted to be like, does this feel like I'm tempted mm -hmm. to cheat? Yeah. Does this feel like the, uh -huh. the tile that I want? Totally. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. No, there's, there's a totally different uh, thing. This is our number 10 mechanic. This is our last mechanic. Trey, what is it? 
Well, we skipped one. We did? What did oh, yeah, well, go I, back I, to it. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Pick up and deliver. We have two more. This is our number uh, number nine. Network building. Yeah. All right. So this is, this is another one that's a little bit fuzzy. Pipelines network building, isn't it? Yeah. Again, it just depends yeah. on how narrowly we want to define it. Um, I tend to think of this as um, I have a presence on the board. Yep. And generally, I can't place something on the board that isn't connected to my network. Right. Like the, the network ex- defines the edge of where I can, of where I can right. go. You must build out from where you are. That's right. And so it depends on how strict you, you want to get. If you play Age of Steam, you are connecting from where you connect, right? Or my, or my thing, like Brass. Brass, right. you have to connect. You have to connect where you are. You yeah. can't just play. Age of Steam has, it depends on the map. Some yeah, maps yeah. you can go, you can build off of anywhere there was something, yeah. But in Brass, you are restricted. You cannot build in the upper left-hand corner of the map until you build up right. to the so left-hand corner of the map. So a lot of these games of the will the often, on your first play, start anywhere. From then on, you must build You must link. There. Yeah, you must link. Okay, back. so that's, yeah. that's more what we're talking about yeah. with um, network building. I, I can see if you go to BGG, they, they'll call something like Gaia Project network building because it, 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 you're limited in where you can go yeah. based upon where your presence, but it's not that kind of one-to-one links in the chain almost where like, you know, you know your network, yeah. I, I'm going to occupy this space. And in fact, it, a lot of times, like if I occupy this space, then no one else can. Yeah. And so uh, there's a lot of blocking in terms of how you build your network. You, you have chosen Age of Steam and Brass, which I think are the quintessential ne- network builders. Um, I've chosen 18xx as as my favorite of that iteration. I, I think it, while I, I, I would probably prefer to play Age of Steam and Brass in general, in terms of network building, that's the main thing I love about 18xx is that concept of furthering this train line getting different figuring out the best way to maximize my revenues based off where I'm building and how I've built there and then having to zig where others are zagging. Oh no, somebody's built into the city I was going to all those decisions I find really exciting and interesting. Yeah. Okay. So the last one I want to talk about is actually, number 10. Well, yeah. Okay. What I, what I want to do for number 10 is actually kind of talk real quick about um, mechanics that, that I think we actually should have been abandoned, mm. like things that we Ooh. don't do anymore. And, and so, um, for, uh, the, the easiest ones that came to my mind here is like we don't do roll and move games anymore, right. and, and yet this was a staple of the so games Monopoly, we played growing up. Sorry, roll your dice, move your mice. Yeah, Candyland. Candyland's roll and move. In fact, yeah, and you in fact make no decisions in that well, game. You don't once. roll; you move a card. But so I'm not thing. saying you can't make a roll and move game, but you better have a really interesting way to explore that roll and move space. One of our biggest disappointments in the history of board games, we went to Essen and the top of our list was Stefan Feld had designed a roll and move game called Merlin. And that was ballsy. It proved the point. Right. But we, I was like, Oh man, Stefan Feld made a roll and move game. Like dude, what if he like, what if he like, he's so confident that he can say, yeah, I can make a roll. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it It still didn't kind of work. Garbage. (laughs) I don't know if it was garbage. Uh, (laughs) Okay. It was a noble experiment that kind of proved to me. I, I I played it once and sold it at the con. Uh, I, that's, I I had, I, it made me, it upset me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I was just like, where is the game? I don't, I don't see it. Uh, and I love Stefan Feld and, uh, yeah. this, I don't think not less dim- of him. For, no, it did not for diminish my feelings that. at all. I think it was an exciting tell you, thing I'm, he attempted and it, for me, it didn't work. I will be in board game playtesting groups all the time and there will be new people coming to the hobby yep. that want to design their own game and they'll still use it. They'll be using roll and yeah. move right off the bat. And you, and you like a, 
I, I, I channel a little bit of my inner James Matthew here yeah, yeah. and and shake them and say, you cannot make yeah. a roll and move game. Yeah. Like I, you have to be Stefan Feld to make a roll and move. Right. Game. Like yeah. you have to understand what, what you are um, playing against before you can even think that yep. you can add something new to this. So if you're doing roll and well, you know what? Roll and move is fine for a six year old. Yep. If you're designing a game for a six year old, that's appropriate. But we're yeah, yeah. talking about designing games for adults. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is kind of like, um, probably doesn't belong in any game that we would want to play anymore is player elimination. Right. That's, uh, you're out of the game. Go watch TV while we finish for the next three hours. Right. It used to be pretty common in games. Oh, yeah. You could get knocked out. Monopoly Age of, requires Age of Steam it. still has player elimination. And I would not want to change it. 18xx does not have player elimination, but at any time a player is eliminated, the game ends. Yeah, what they should probably do in Age of Steam is just have like you get to the point where the loans have just completely consumed you, and you can keep taking them. Yeah. but you're 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 just going to lose. Yeah, well, as it, opposed it actually, to actually yeah, knocking well, no, you out. But yeah, it actually does knock you out in Age of Steam. But yeah, uh, yeah, th- those are two things that modern designers have decided uh, are not uh, worth putting in games anymore. So we get to the last one because we're running a little long. I think that, I think that was my last one. I don't think we need to do anymore. Well, but that was, that was nine. Okay. But I was, my 10th was pick don't up and do deliver. This. Okay. Yeah. See, the thing is, I just don't think that's that important. Well, let's just go quickly. My favorite pick up and deliver is Panamax. Panamax is one of the most underrated board games. I love it. You are buying different containers. The containers are dice. You're loading those dice onto ships. You're moving them through docks. You're delivering them for points. You're picking them up. You're delivering them. Pick'em Deliver is awesome. I Panamax love, I is do my love, favorite game. I do love Panamax. Pick'em and Deliver. Age of Steam is obviously in Container and, and Genoa are th- definitely... Yeah, Age of Steam was famous. the one I, I had. I would prefer Pick'em to play just, Panamax. You take a good... And Why don't you, we play more Panamax? I love that it's game. It's amazing. I, I wish, and I really didn't want to like it. Oh, I love it. But I do love it. I'll play it all day. Yeah. Um, look, guys, that was a great episode. We're going to skip our, uh, our Somalia. Can yeah. I, can I ask, uh, I, I would like some more Somalia questions and I'm going to say this right now. I feel like we've answered as well as we can answer the recommendations of gateway games. What can I play with my girlfriend? If you, yeah. if you, if you want a gateway game recommendation, I recommend you listen to, uh, the episode with Jake in round one, which is the casual gamer primer. We do all of the recommendations for what game you should play when your group has only played light games and you want to start moving up to heavy games. I would love some more specific questions in the future. You can email me at Matthew at GameBrainPod.com. Of course, if you want to ask me any question, just ask me. Um, but your chances of getting them read right on the podcast are much higher if they're going to be less about gateway games and more specific. Or specific gateway game questions will be wonderful. I would love a specific gateway game question. Those are always interesting. But just what, how did my group move up? My answer is usually just going to be Concordia. Uh, <laughs> right. And, and there's a handful of other ones. Azul, Concordia, Splendor. Should we just, we just put this on the website, yeah. right? Azul, Concordia, Splendor. Maybe Castles of Burgundy. Those are just start there. That's it. There you go. Yeah, we'll, we'll put it up on the website. You know what? That's a good point. That's, I'm going to have our web designer, Liam, wonderful guy. I'm going to have him add a section on our website. Frequently asked questions. I believe they call that a fact on the internet. Uh, we're going to have some frequently asked questions there before you submit your question, check out our fact. These have always, these are already been answered multiple times and we were happy to answer them, but Hey, <laughs> no longer, m- maybe you have some different questions. That's Matthew at gamebrainpod.com or you can go to gamebrainpod and just email me directly from there. And then I won't, um, I won't know your email address if you want to stay hidden. A lot of people don't like emailing cause it's like, well, now I could email you back and maybe I'll put you on some list and you'll get a lot of, you know, ads for Valtrex or something in the future. And you don't want any of that. 
you know, I mean, like you're going to sell your email to, I'm not going to try to Where sell you email tracks. Where are you going? I'm just saying I'll sell you to some company that's going to start selling you ads. I'm not going to do that. But if you don't want to risk that and you go to gamebrainpod.com and email me directly from there, I won't even know who you are. You don't even have to say your name. Just ask me a question. Trey, what else do we have to talk about on this podcast? If we're not doing game Somalia, I think we're, we're done. But I, I thought we did have one good question that met your criteria in terms of like a horror game recommendation. Ooh, go. You want to do that one? Go. What is it? Is it the um, Mitch? You won me over, Trey. You want me to read it? Go. Um, Mitch says, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> is there anything that comes to mind for people who like horror and are not looking for something too intimidating when having friends over? A lot of people online have seemed to have trouble grasping that we played with, have had trouble grasping infection at Outpost 31, which is the thing. Yeah. Um, and it is not a game that I would recommend. Nope. Um, but our group of friends that we game with seem to have no problem with it. So we aren't opposed to a challenge. We need your help. Be the master and commander, Matt of our next board game night and choose a game or two for us to pick up and play with our friends. Mitch, this is a great horror. Horror. I would say this is a perfect example of a specific and wonderful question that will get an answer that we have not given before. Trey, what do you have for them? Okay. I've got two. Or do you have, do you have one that you I mean, just off the top of my head, betrayal at house on the hill legacy. People love, I'm not saying betrayal at the house on the hill, which is the original game, the legacy version of it. I bought it for Tom for his birthday. I'm kind we of still annoyed. Played it. I'm kind of annoyed. Play it. Brought the table. Yeah, yeah. People fripping love it. Frippin's not a word. It's a word now. Trey, what do you got? Um, I think the next one from what you said here about what your group wants to play. I think Dead of Winter would be a nice. Yeah, Dead of Winter's fun. It's got a good horror vibe. Put on some, you know, cooperative um, zombie hordes. Put on some zombie music soundtracks in the background. And then something that's that's um, very different is Mysterium. Yeah, the, the horror atmosphere totally. of it's a uh, seance, right? Kind of like a seance. You're, talking, you're trying you're to figure a, out a, a mystery in a haunted house, and you're no, being fed visions from a, from a dead from person. A ghost. Yeah, from a ghost. So it sounds like if you like the horror vibe, I think Mysterium would be a nice thing, and it's not too tough to play, and it's no. a real good uh, social game. I would like more horror themed board games, like really that genuinely aren't just scary. zombie miniature. Somebody fests. did a Friday the Thirteenth board game. I did not hear wonderful things about it. I'd be down for more games like that. Um, but yeah, I think those are two good versions of that. I think Betrayal of the House on the Hill Legacy is what you're looking for, my friend. Um, that's it, Trey. This was a great episode. I feel energized. I loved everything we talked about. It was really fun. Hopefully, I'm going to go design a board game about lawyers. Please do. Oh, yeah. Join our Facebook group. Tell Trey all of your ideas for his board game. Uh, we would love. We're crowdsourcing a title here. I think we can do better than <laughs> associate district attorney. Assistant. Not, assistant. Sorry. ADA. I'm not saying it's a bad name. I just think we can do better. And I always want us to do better. Uh, thank you so much, Trey. We will see you next week. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You might know him as Alfred on the show. More on him at GameBrainPod.com, as well as everything you'd want to know about the rest of us there. Links to all of our episodes and how you can find us on socials. Join our Facebook group as well, please. Uh, Game Brain Pod on Facebook. You can reach me by email at Matthew at GameBrainPod.com or Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games.